right. Episode 215, Hot Shot Scott. Hey, we're here. 215. 215. It's Thanksgiving Day week. Oh, that's right. Big, big party at your house like every no, year. Big Thanksgiving. No. All the relatives and neighbors come by. No, and we're going to be hiding as we as we normal are, <laughs> uh, normally are. Nice. Turning off all the lights so yeah. nobody bothers us. Oh, my God. Someone knocked at the door. Hide. <laughs> Shoulder rolling in the office. Episode 215. We went yes. over 210. San Antonio. Yep. You didn't know. 212, of course, New York. Oh, yeah, 213 sure. LA. I told you last week, 214, area code 214, South Fork in Dallas, Texas. Yep. Which brings us to episode 215, a huge area code that let's just say a mutual acquaintance of ours okay. would be very disappointed <laughs> to hear that you don't know. He would give you a particularly hard time. If he found out, if he ever listened to this show and found out that you don't know area code 215. See, I long for the days of jersey numbers when we come up with players. <laughs> now now it's area codes. What's, are we ever going to get to five digits and do zip codes? Like, what the hell? What's next? Okay, uh, the mutual acquaintance is uh, our friend, the tuner in Salt Lake City that we used to oh prank. God, how do you remember the tuner? It's not him. It's not the tuner. Rest in peace, by the way, for him. Did he pass? Yeah, I think it's a rest in peace nah, situation. Too bad. Yeah. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. Is he my neighbor? I think he lives real close by, yes, to you. Would it be Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Yes, it would be Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yes, he would be very upset. Because I live and breathe this Philadelphia freedom. From the day that I was born, I've waved the flag. (laughs) Philadelphia freedom took me knee-high to a man. Yeah, gave me peace of mind my daddy never had. Stop I it. know it. Philadelphia Freedom is uh, Elton on, John, right? Elton John, right? Come on. I'm not a huge fan of Elton John. Come I like on. him okay, but yeah, okay, sure. Philadelphia, Philadelphia Freedom. Yeah. Shine on me. I love you. Shine a light through the eyes of the ones left behind. Yeah, I don't know it that well. No? By the way, your buddy Elton's touring these days, you know. I think it's his last one. Well, a 60-year-old couple got their asses kicked in the parking lot at the LA <laughs> at the LA Elton John concert. Who knew it was dangerous to go to an Elton John concert? They got Shine jumped. the light, oh shine the light. <laughs> I know it. Shine yes. the light, won't you shine the light? Philadelphia freedom. I love, love, love you. Yes, I do. That doesn't yeah. ring a bell. It rings a bell. The I, guy I who does Elton the music, John. the music. I told podcast. you I knew who it was. I just I can't sing every lyric. By the what? way, our friend grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Is that close to Philadelphia? I assume it's close. Right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. He was not area code 215. I was going to say. But he still would be offended if you didn't know what 215 <laughs> okay, is. fair enough. He's all Philadelphia. I mean, when you drove, we used to drive from Scranton, Pennsylvania, where my folks were from, yeah. to Philadelphia, a couple hour drive. Yeah. And when you entered Philadelphia, there was a big billboard. I don't know if it's still there that said, welcome to Philadelphia, home of the Phillies and Tasty Cakes. That's it? Do you know Tasty Cakes? I know of them because of oh. him. Yes. I know of them. I love tasty cakes. But if you had one now, would you be like, I oh, have them great? every once? Oh, yeah. Still, really? Butterscotch crimpets? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me on this. There's nothing quite like a butterscotch crimpet tasty cake. Butterscotch underrated in the flavor department. No, no one, it is. It's, it's no one ever gets it. It's I'm, never not a, a, I'm not a butterscotch guy. Oh, really? This is the only butterscotch that I would eat. How about those little hard candies? Your if you offered me a butterscotch candy, I'd, yeah. turn, I'd throw it at you. <laughs> you would. <laughs> You've been to Philadelphia a bunch of times. Did you ever go to the Rocky when he the statue was up I've at seen the stairs? That, of course. It's not there anymore, I don't think. But. When I think of Philadelphia in terms of sports, there's a few things that I immediately my mind wanders to. Okay. 
December 5th, 2005. Oh, I love that game. I love punching the old uh, goalpost. Was that Tatupu? You remember uh, December the 5th, 2005. Because I, I think they might have been 4-0 and or 5-0, and but people weren't really talking about them being good. And then they go into Philadelphia. You were doing well until you said that. They were 10-1. and <laughs> Oh, were they really? <laughs> yeah. But I remember people, and like, fans yeah, were like, oh, they're getting no respect, no, oh, no respect. No, 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 no. No, they were red hot. Right, but then they go into Philadelphia and like beat a good team, and finally they were put on the map a little bit. They beat them 42 to nothing <laughs> yes, on Monday Night did. Football, That's Mike right. Holmgren. 10 and 1, really? Okay. They were, I believe, 10 and 1 or 10 and 2 at the time. It was December, December 5th. Okay. Monday Night Football, we took the morning show to Philadelphia. Whoa. Because that's how hot they were. We had to do the morning show from Philadelphia. I was probably noshing on butterscotch crimpets in the break. (laughs) And I went to the game and I sat in the stands. This is a true story. And at halftime, the score at halftime was Seahawks 35, Eagles nothing. I think that's right. Yeah, I remember that. The game, I believe, started at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, Rough. So I go into the bathroom. I stand in the long line for the urinals. It's Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Eagles fans are not too happy at 35 oh, nothing. Oh, yeah, nothing but class, too. And there's a guy next to me. I'm I'm at one urinal. Guy next to me. This is a true story. Yeah. Guy next to me, and he's having trouble standing up straight. Gotcha. Leaning back and forth. Trying to get his sea mumbling. legs. Yeah. He's mumbling. He reeks of alcohol. Sure. I mean, I think he's probably missing the urinal. Not on target. Yeah. Uh, I hear him mumble. <laughs> Oh, my God. The Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks. They're not even in the continental United States. (laughs) That's right, buddy. They are not. (laughs) Not even in the continental United States. Beating his beloved Eagles. Awesome. Such a fun game. It was a great, great night. Two pick sixes. Lofa Tatupu had one of them. Very good. Boxing the old. Not uh, even in the continental. On their way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, sure. Where they would play in Detroit against the Pittsburgh Steelers and get robbed. But... I digress. Now, um, yes, KJR actually sent me to Philadelphia once as well. Paid for me. Army Navy. Yes, sir. What a blast. You ever been? I've never been to the Army Navy game. Me and uh, the gas man went. Really? Had a great time. We did shows from there. Not we as in the morning show, but KJR did shows for there for years. They might still do them for all I know. To Army Navy? Army Navy. Well, as long as KJR doesn't have to pay for it, I'm sure they go. I don't know that it's always in Philadelphia. I think sometimes it's in Baltimore. It was in Washington, Washington once, but yeah. I think that was a one-off because yeah. it wasn't. As, Philadelphia, it's great. Great Loved town. It. By the way, great Army-Navy game, you have to go if you've never been. It's you incredible. hate to say Philadelphia is a great sports town because all the Philadelphia people that we know are a little insufferable. A little? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they threw snowballs at Santa. <laughs> it's all you need to know for God's sakes, the Philadelphia sports They had sports a jail fans. at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. <laughs> right, right down there in the bottom. They took people to do it. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Rate and review us on the Apple Podcast page. Really helps with booking guests. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for $5 per month and have access to all the bonus shows. You'll find Mr. Playoffs now, a full, like, 15-minute version. Oh, great. Every week on the patron show, Shooting the Shit, with Slick, which comes out on Fridays. We do a bunch of shows during the week for patrons, and all it costs is $5 a month. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron. If you can't afford it or it's the holiday season and the $5 is really a problem, the idea was not to price people out of the market. Yeah. If you want more content and you can't swing the $5, just send me a note, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. We got some nice emails this week, and I thought because it's Thanksgiving this week, Rather than read all of the people that are pissy and are angry and <laughs> yeah. tell me to go out of hell, yeah. F off, whatever. Scott sucks. Thought yeah. I'd read to you a couple of the nice ones. Oh, I like it. Yes. Dear Mitch, I don't watch TV. 
I don't watch Yellowstone. I don't watch any shows that Hotshot recommends on your podcast. Okay. But you had on Bradley Jackson, the director of Facing Nolan, in a recent podcast. And I said, okay, I've got to watch this. Would have never known it was available if it wasn't for your podcast. Mm. Can't say thank you enough for this interview. The documentary on Nolan Ryan was fantastic. Signed, Jeff, diehard, faithful listener and patron here in Southeast Texas. Really? Yes. Southeast Texas. Did you listen to the Bradley Jackson interview with yes. the director? Did it inspire you to watch Facing Nolan? I had seen it before you had him on. I watch everything. Did we that talk comes about out. that? Yes, we did. As a matter I thought of fact. you hadn't watched nope, it yet. I watched it. Oh, oh, I loved it. It was amazing. Great. So I couldn't wait. And by the way, I also love the guy that wrote the the book on Bo Jackson. Stop, dear Mitch. The Jeff Perlman interview was going. <laughs> don't beat me to the punch, Hot Shot. <laughs> finally, I listened to the podcast. I finally listened to something you do, and you tell me to stop. Okay. The Jeff Perlman interview was gold. Thank you. Brought me right back to being a high school kid watching him play for Auburn on TV. Oh. And then every crazy exploit after. Hands down, the best athlete I've ever seen. Yep. The mythical stories are amazing. Thanks for letting us in, Roger. Now, cue you. You heard the interview with Jeff Perlman who's the author of the new Bo Jackson book. I might have the numbers wrong, but him running a 4.1940 in pads on grass and them thinking they did it wrong, him running it again and running a 4.17, running it actually faster. Like, for some reason, I completely believe that. Like, he was just, he was he's a superhero. Yeah. He's just a superhero. I, I, I love the whole thing. It was amazing. Get the book then. Yep, I will. If you can read, I mean, if you're a book reader. And by book, I mean audiobook. Yes, I will get that. <laughs> For one of your long trips to, to youth basketball tournaments somewhere oh, on the eastern yeah, side of the that's state. That's right, to Nampa, Idaho. That's exactly what Piper wants to listen to, a book on Bo Jackson on oh, the way. Oh, you don't think we share what comes out of the speakers on road trips, do you? I mean, she's in her own pod back there with the oh. headphones and oh. pillows surrounding her. Oh, no, 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 no. No, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that scene before. You've seen that before, yes. Yeah. Dear Mitch... I love you, but you're a money-grabbing weasel. Whoa. The big Mr. Playoff segment on the patron show makes us pony up five bucks a month to hear it. Not cool. Do it on the free show. Other than that, good job. Frank, Seahawks fan in Galveston, Texas. So two Texas emailers in one week for Mitch Unfiltered. I'm a money-grabbing weasel because I do the Mr. Playoffs, the full-fledged yeah. one, which, by the way... I actually need all the games to finish before I can do it, like the Monday night game, and I can't really do it on the free show. And, oh, by the way, I need about three hours or two hours to put together the notes and, yep. and come up with the little angles about this that I can't really do on Sunday night for a free show. Yep. Other than that, the guy's got a great idea. We used to do it on, on the yeah the Thursday show. We always did it on the Patreon show. But I, yeah, I need some time. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I'd like for the games to finish. And by the way, it's not five bucks a month just for that segment. I mean, there's no. lots of content no. for five bucks a month. Can somebody give me a break? It's Thanksgiving Day week. Come on. <laughs> what a weasel. I put that thing together. I love that thing. It's yeah. a real passion. But I, I try to dig and find some some angles that nobody's paying attention to in terms of road to the playoffs. Yeah. I can't do it when there's a Sunday night game while we're recording <laughs> and a Monday game after we're recording. It's impossible. Mr. Postseason. Minus two games. Minus that two games. That doesn't really roll off so, the tongue, does it? Sorry, Frank Seahawks fan in Galveston, Texas. You'll have to understand. And by the way, I saw you on Twitter talking about the, the Mr. Pac-12 you might be someday. No, I'm trying not. Trying to figure that out. I have figured that out. Can we get into that, that later? Yeah, we can get into it right at the beginning of, okay. of segment one. Yeah, yeah. I want to see. Did you do the homework on it? You figured I did it the out? homework. I figured okay. it out. All right. I figured it out. I, I do not know. It's really interesting. One of our listeners posted like a spreadsheet that somebody yes, made. Yes, yes. Did you read it? 
I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was like, I looked at it for two seconds. I don't know. What I not is. only read it, yeah. I printed it out and laminated it. <laughs> he took down your kid's picture and put that up on it's the wall. The yeah. <laughs> All it's right. over our bed right on the side. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, there's actually a very interesting set of circumstances with the University of Washington. Okay. That actually, and ask me this to start segment one, but actually makes it more likely that they would play in the Rose Bowl Whoa. than they would actually play in the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. It's weird. I thought you had to it's weird. win the Pac-12. A lot of people think that, but okay. there is, I'll, I'll create the scenario okay. for you. All right. Some listeners might already know. But first, Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Week 12 action coming up. Yes. Here are your games in week 12. Bucks at Browns, Bengals at Titans, Broncos at Panthers. Password? The first name of the American League Rookie of the year oh. that was just announced. Yes. And he was also seventh in MVP voting in the American League at just the ripe old age of 21 or 22. Not too shabby. Julio. Like it. J-U-L-I-O, all lowercase password for Beat the Boys. By the way, going into weekend number 11, mm-hmm. we were down to only owing 19 prizes thanks to your friend, producer Steve. Yeah, he's been carrying the mail for and, sure. And he'll tell you. <laughs> just ask him <laughs> he's happy to tell you yeah <laughs> just look at your text yes guests okay apple cup week oh that's right live I, live show in pullman no uh, live show in pullman. just called no, and said I'll, you and i are going to pullman to no do the i'll be hiding stuff. on that day <laughs> okay good <laughs> i've moved rick neuheisel up to the top in terms of guests he's going to be guest number one his weekly visit brought to you by taco time northwest and the reason i've done that is first of all For some reason, I just think it's the best one we've done all year. I've already done the interview. And I feel like it just was a really good one, chock full of information, including Pac-12 and Rose Bowl. He tells us, I can't even believe, Hotshot, that he tells an Apple Cup story. I thought I had heard all of his stories. Yeah. Both off the air and on the air. He told us stories for years on KJR. He has told us stories for years on Mitch Unfiltered. He tells on this episode an Apple Cup story that is a beauty. Really? So good that I wanted to move him up to, to guest number one <laughs> of right. episode 215. And I'm not going to say anything more than it involves Lake Washington and Barbara Hedges. Really? That's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Hooked. Sold. You have to hear Rick Neuheisel's Apple Cup story. It's towards the very end of our interview. He, in fact, thank goodness he kind of interrupted me. I didn't even have it on my list to ask him to tell us an Apple Cup story. He just said as I was about to say goodbye. Yeah. Hey, before we say goodbye, since it's Apple Cup week, I want to share with you something that happened. It, it's a beauty. I can't wait. It's a beauty. Cannot okay? wait. Uh, so Rick Neuheisel, Scotty Mitchell in Toronto, and Jason Churchill. I combined a Toronto Blue Jays guy, a Seattle Mariners guy. As you know, the Seattle Mariners have now jumped into the 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 fray, the offseason yeah. fray. They've acquired a new guy, a couple not, new guys. Not playing around, looks not like. Not playing around. They're involved in some heavy rumors about some other guys. So we've got kind of a two-pronged attack at what the Mariners have already done and what they might do around right. the corner with Scotty Mitchell from Toronto to talk about that Blue Jays right fielder yeah. who's now the Mariners right fielder. And um, Jason Churchill is always great to us on Mitch Unfiltered. And then Joe Fan and Brady Henderson. Yes, it's an off week, yeah. but the Seahawks no table. We're in a position now, six and four. Seven games to go, five of them at home. Yeah. I can't even believe I'm saying this, that I'm hearing myself say (laughs) this, but it will be a colossal disappointment if they don't make the NFC playoffs one way or the other. This is the same team that we all thought was going to win five games. Right. 
Now we're saying it's a colossal disappointment through 10 games if they don't do enough in the last seven to make the playoffs. It was it was root for great draft pick season. Exactly like, right. Keep an eye on those quarterbacks out there, Ohio State, now yeah. whoever else. You yeah. Know. Nope. Well, no, we're still doing that. Oh, we are. Oh, oh. yeah, for some for another reason. Oh. Thank you, Raiders. Oh, <laughs> oh. are are we ever? <laughs> By the way, Gino, all he's done uh, as we're looking for, at these young quarterbacks is play his ass off as a quarterback, yet we're still looking at uh, whatever. Weird year. Bizarre oh, yeah. year. So in segment one, not only am I starting with the whole f- interesting scenarios of the University of Washington, but uh, yeah. um, Seahawks might be looking at a top five pick. Unreal. In both the first and second rounds. Unreal. Because of some problems they're having in the Mile High City. Yes, they are. Losing to the Raiders in overtime. Raiders, Just saying. Raiders are awful too, right? And that's not a good team right now. Just saying. So here we are, Hot Shots Scott, episode 215. Not possible without our partners like Zeke's Pizza. New locations popping up all over the place, including Boise, Idaho. In fact, you're going to hear Dapper Dan Black on this show, episode 215, talk about expanding into Oregon. Incredible how the footprint of Zeke's has expanded in the last few years. I was talking to Lindsey Schwartz the other day, how it just feels right to be at Daniel's Broiler during the month of December. Hard to articulate. There's just a special holiday feel to all four of their locations. Do what the Levies do. Reserve your spot for a real treat this holiday season. Danielsbroiler.com. Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys. Week 12 coming up. Password Julio, as in the AL Rookie of the Euro. Have you given any thought to a new fireplace unit for the winter? Up to $300 off gas fireplace inserts right now at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Kirkland Office of Cross-Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers. Obviously a very weird time when it comes to borrowing money, buying and selling homes, although seems like we're now headed in a much better direction with interest rates and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Jordan's team has all the answers for you, no matter which side of the fence you're on, buying or selling, 425-890-2957. An Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Episode 215, 215 begins right now. Unfiltered. This is an easy one for the rules people in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. You just got to say, hey, if it's a if it's a first down clock stoppage where we're only stopping it for a, a second or two to move the chains, then yeah. no. If there's an injury in that situation, no, there's a 10-second. You got to have a timeout or there's a 10-second runoff. Unfiltered. Could Logan Gilbert be, be a top 10 guy? Absolutely. Could... Could George Kirby be a top? Absolutely. Okay. Could Robbie Ray? I was waiting for it. (laughs) Could Robbie Ray bounce back and get back into the top 10? I mean, he won the damn thing two years ago. He can't be a, he can never be a top 10 Cy Young guy again. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 215, 215 is now officially, that was just the 
the warm-up segment. Right. Now we're officially underway, Hotshots. By the way, Mr. World Traveler, going on every yeah. other weekend. I'm Florida. I'm golf trips. Every I'm here. Other- I'm there. Look at you. You can't be Would- stopped. Flying everywhere. I wouldn't call it every other weekend. <laughs> feels like it. I went to see my 88-year-old mom. Oh, that's very nice of you. Did she there- want you to come, or did you just show up? I think she still wants me to come. Oh, she does. That's good. Okay. How long are you staying, she says to me. <laughs> Is that her feeling you out a bit, or does she really want you to stay a while? But you know that every time I go to visit my mom, yeah. I have an airplane story. Remember the last oh, one? Oh, you had to whiz, and... I had, I was eating the cookies the, while the guy yeah. was having a cardiac By the way, event. I think you ruined those cookies for me. Because next time I see him, I'm going to think about you having to whiz and a guy having a heart attack, and it's just, yeah, I think you've ruined those for me. Just the eye contact between the flight attendant and oh. me when I was eating the cookies while we were having, a, like, just the disgust on her face, like... Okay, you're eating cookies at a time like this? <laughs> Disdain for you at that moment. I had another one. Uh, you did? I had another one. I don't think it's as funny. Maybe It may be interesting. I'll share it with you. Uh, it's. I, I don't want to get too morbid on you, but on my way to Florida to visit my, my mother, okay. I got the news that a, a family member had died. And I had Sorry to... to I had to... In the middle of the Florida trip, fly to Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of the office, yep. to go to the funeral of this of this family member. And my, that was, that was obviously wasn't planned. You, no, no, the death was not planned. Well, I mean, you didn't know about it before you got on the plane. So I actually to... was told, you know how you can text on the plane. My brother texted me on yeah. the plane. I was high over uh, some some town that hey, we got to go to we got to go to Scranton when you get here because the funeral is going to be so and so. Anyway, so my aunt had passed away, ninety eight years old. Lived a great life. Wow. And I had to fly to Scranton, actually to Newark, drive to Scranton, the yeah. whole thing. On that flight, so I get on the flight from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to go to Newark to go to this funeral yeah. for a day. And as I'm sitting on the plane, two guys come into the plane. I'm sitting in the 20s. I'm on I'm on the window. I'm in the window Ooh, of look the at 20s. You. Big time window. I love a window. I love Ooh, a good window. Who doesn't? Two guys, I would call them... 30, 27, 25, okay. 27. They feel a little New Yorkish to me, New York, okay. kind of brash, loud. They come on, and I notice as we're all getting on the plane, they turn to the flight attendant, this really nice flight attendant, and one of them says to the to the lady, she he says, We have a B. Is B the middle seat? And she said, Yes. And he said, I don't sit in the middle seat. Oh. And she said, I, well, I don't. I, I don't know what to tell you, big boy. <laughs> and then the other guy says, "And I have one too, and I don't sit. We don't. We don't sit in the middle seat, ma'am. You need to. You need to correct this." Wow, that is brash. And she super sweet, super nice to defuse the situation. Yeah, this was uh, what airlines? I don't even know what I was on. Delta, you know, United. Okay. She said, "Well, I can't do anything about the seats. We're in a full flight, but the gate agent can. Do you want me to clear the aisle and let you go back out and discuss this with the gate agent? I have no." I have no control and responsibility. Yeah. Or, I, I can't do anything That's about right. your middle seats. And they were like, no, you need to do this. Wow. And she's like, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do from here, but I can, <sighs> I can arrange for you to speak to the gate agent. Yeah. At which case they just kind of said no. And that was the end of it. Okay. So now I'm watching these two guys. Yeah. One guy is in the middle seat, supposed to be in the middle seat right in front of me, the row in front of me, and the other one is supposed to be in the middle seat across the aisle from him uh, on the left. Yeah. They both hunkered down in the window seat. Oh, no. Here we go. Here we go. You're going to be in a viral video one day. I know it. 
So now I'm watching what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I would be watching, too. A young gir- youngish girl, probably 20, okay. comes in and says, are you in my... Uh, I think I'm on the... And I see the guy say, I'm sitting in the window. You sit here. Oh, boy. Now, she was not of the mindset to complain. Maybe she felt intimidated by the guy. Yeah. She sat right down in the middle seat and didn't complain. He took her seat. That sucks. Then an older woman comes to the other side of the plane, sees the other guy across the way, uh, right in front of me in the window seat, and says, I think I might have the window. And he says the same thing. I don't sit in middle seats. You sit here. I'm going to sit here. You're sitting here today, toots. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> God. I don't think toots was a part of it, but kind of, sort of. Yeah. At which time the lady sits right down. Oh. It's it, Which was amazing to me that this happened twice because yeah. I would, if if somebody took my seat and yeah. told me to sit in the middle. How would that go, that Mitch would not Levy? Go well. Tell me how that would go. Now, these guys would kick my ass right. if there was a fight, but I would get the flight attendant and try to be nice about it yeah, and yeah. say, no, I have that seat. I don't, I don't want to sit in the middle. Whatever. These two women just sat themselves uh, in the middle seat. No fireworks. So I was like, God, yeah. that's kind of disappointing. It is disappointing. Two and a half hours later, we're making our final descent into Newark. Okay. When one of the women on the on the on the loudspeaker comes over the loudspeaker and says, "Ladies and gentlemen, we're making our final descent into Newark. We have a favor to ask. When we arrive and the bell goes off, please do not stand. We will tell you when you can stand. Please stay seated until you hear from us that it's okay to stand." I'm like, "What the hell?" Yeah, that's weird. We land in Newark. We taxi. Nobody gets up. We taxi to the gate. We're now at the gate. The bell runs. Uh, one guy, I think, on the plane stands and um, immediately the please keep your seats until we tell you it's OK to stand. Yeah. I'm like, what the it's hell? It's almost a little scary when there's like a all of a sudden like police come into <gasps> our into our plane. Come on. And they're walking down the aisle. New York's finest or New Jersey's finest. Yeah, York, sure. They come walking down. I'm like, uh oh, what's going on? Yeah. They stop right at the guy, one of the two guys. What? They look at him and he says, they say, come with me. And he doesn't put up. He says, okay. And he gets up. It was the guy on the on the opposite side. Yeah, the kitty corner from you there. That's yeah. right. Gets up, goes down the aisle. Wow. With the police. Out. Now, I do, I can tell you, the only thing I can tell you. Okay is that there's no way this had anything to do with the way he was talking to the... No way. It wasn't. It didn't escalate to anything that a policeman would be called about. So something else, they were waiting for him. Something else, and this is where the story has a terrible ending because I don't have an ending. This is the end of the story. By the way, they came back on board and they got the other guy, the friend. That I don't was know my what question. Yeah, did they, they get the other guy? They ended up, but, but I don't think he was in trouble, but they brought him out. Wow. And then... The lady gets on the loudspeaker. Now it's okay. Everybody go ahead and sit. Everybody watch this whole thing happen. So not only did they upgrade their seats, they get off first. <laughs> what a deal. Holy crap. I, you know, but I don't know if it was a great deal yeah, for yeah, what I happened when they got off the plane or when he got off the plane. I, I don't know where he was being taken. I don't I, know what he had did. I don't know why they wanted him, but right on the plane came the came the off the fact that you notice these two guys your spidey senses went off that they're they're just something something's off about them yes it turns out you were right i mean clearly they did something there's the, anybody who was listening in on the conversation between them and the flight attendant about we don't sit in middle seats and it was pretty loud yeah 
it wasn't observatory skills on my behalf. I mean, anybody who was witness to that conversation were like, these guys are douchebags. I okay. mean, these guys are terrible guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrible to talk to her like that and and then refuse to sit in the seat and then make two other people sit in the middle when you the whole thing just didn't feel right. But I I wasn't thinking that two and a half year two and a half hours later. The cops are going to come on board and take these guys away. See, I think it's a good ending. I like that ending that these two got no escorted off. What's your guess? Uh, I'm sure there's people who work for the airlines that, that can tell us. Is it illegal to take someone else's seat? I mean, I don't know. No, no, no. There's this, nothing to do with the seat? No way. No way that the airline called to my, and said, these two no. guys won't sit in their seats. I want them arrested. No, because they took the one guy off and not the other first. One guy was clearly in more trouble and the other he guy was. Wasn't. Okay. Like, did the hand go behind the back or no? I yeah, guess. I think uh, kind of, sort of, maybe. Wow. God, I want to know why. I almost feel like that they were kind of wanted or something or that they were in trouble for something that didn't happen on the plane, yeah. that they were waiting for these guys. They knew they were on board and they were going to arrest this guy. Huh. So I, I don't I don't have – I don't. It's le- I'm leaving you with a cliffhanger. I don't have the answer. By the way, if, if you are wanted or someone's looking for you, maybe don't make a scene on the plane. Just <laughs> maybe try to go under the radar a little bit. I mean, holy crap, right? I mean, if you're wanted or you have glasses on and the hat, you're not telling people that you're not sitting in the, I don't sit in the middle. You just get on, just take your seat. Wow. I want to know what happened so badly. That's amazing. So it's a couple of Florida guys, obviously, right? F- flying from uh, Florida to, to Newark? Or do you think they were... Well, you said they were kind of New york so they, they could have been from... They were the New East York, Coast. New Jersey guys who yeah. we shouldn't have allowed in the state of Florida because we're much more <laughs> upstanding than that. We don't behave like that. That's right. Somehow yeah. they got they got slipped in and they were able to, to get into Florida yeah, for yeah. some vacation time or God knows what they did in Florida. Maybe it's something that they did in Florida that they... True. I don't know. I, I don't know whether they were being sent back to Florida because of trouble they... That, that, that they left wow. behind. I don't know whether there was trouble in New York. And all I know is we were not allowed to get up until police officers came on board and took this guy away. I'm just happy. I'm happy that, <laughs> that for them being jerks like that, I, it, clearly it's not related, but for them being jerks, this is what happened. This is what you get. I'm not even a big karma guy, really. But I think there's some karma there. That's that's what you get. There you go. Taking people's seats. There you, you go. You get escorted off. There you go, Hotshot. Now, I love that. while I can't give you the, the end of that story because yeah. I don't know it, I can answer your question. What did you ask me during the uh, during the tease segment? Oh yeah, are you going to be Mr. Pac-12 now for the the, the Pac-12? No, I'm not, I'm not going to be playoffs Mr. and Rose Bowl and all no, that. No, but I can explain it to you. You can. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. As we sit here today, mm-hmm. the Washington Huskies can still play in the Pac-12 championship game in now Las Vegas. It's no longer in San. It's in Las Vegas right. now. But they need a lot of help. They okay. need to do their business, and they need a lot of help. So I'll just. I won't explain why the tiebreakers. This is not a Mr. Mr. Postseason or Mr. Pac-12 title game okay. episode. I'll just tell you. They need to beat Washington State. Sure. Oregon State needs to beat Oregon in Corvallis. Oh, okay. And then one of two things has to happen elsewhere, which is Colorado has to beat Utah. <laughs> that that ain't, ain't happening. happening. No. Okay, so just knock that out. Or... California has to upset UCLA, and they're probably a two-touchdown underdog yeah. against UCLA. That's how Washington plays USC in the Pac-12 title game. I'll do it one more time. Okay, They have to beat Washington State, which First is going to be going to yeah. be difficult. Not going to be easy. Yeah. Not going to be easy. They've got to have Oregon State in Corvallis beat Oregon in the rivalry game. Big upset. Civil War. Civil yes. War. 
I don't, not a huge upset. I mean, Oregon State's pretty good this year. It would be an upset, but it wouldn't be a gigantic okay. upset. And then they need either Colorado to beat Utah, not happening, yep. or California to beat UCLA, probably not happening. California has three wins, four wins. I mean, they're not a very yeah, good team, they're not right? A very yeah. So that's the way they play USC in the Pac-12 title game. Okay. And you would think ordinarily, well, that's their only way into the Rose Bowl. Because right. That's what we want. We want to get them into the Rose Bowl somehow. I mean, look at their... They're nine and two. They get a chance to go ten and two if they beat Washington. Rolling. That's where you would err. <laughs> okay. If you think that they have to play in the Pac-12 title game to play in the Rose Bowl, that's where you would be not only mistaken, but you'll be interested in the situation that we have here. Okay. We have a very unique, not a very unique. We have a somewhat unique situation in the way that USC has a chance to play in the college football playoff. Oh, okay. We know USC is in the Pac-12 title game. Yep. We know USC plays a tough game this week against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's no slouch. That's right, yeah. If USC beats Notre Dame, then goes to Vegas in the Pac-12 title game, whomever they play, whether it's Oregon or Washington, and they win that game, mm -hmm. there is a very good chance, a very decent chance, that they'll be in the college football playoff. Okay. Which at that time... The Pac-12 would need a Rose Bowl participant. Right. The Rose Bowl would have to pick a Pac-12 team. And it does not go automatically to the team that USC beat in the Pac-12 title game. That makes sense. I would have said, of course, it's going to go to the team that USC beats. Not the case. The huh. Rose Bowl chooses. So let's walk through this for a second. Okay. If all the stuff that has to happen for Washington to get into the Pac-12 title game doesn't happen... Mm -hmm. And let's say Washington, but the part that does happen is Washington beats Washington State. Okay. Don't know. I don't want to piss off Cougars fans because oh, yeah, yeah. we're not counting that as a win yet. No one is. But if 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 they do that, but all the other stuff doesn't happen, yeah, then Oregon's in. Right. Oregon goes and plays USC in the Pac-12 title game. Uh -huh. USC beats Oregon. Pick a score: 35-31, 35-27. They okay. pick USC. Then after beating Notre Dame gets called to go to the college football playoff. Wow. Who are the Rose Bowl people going to choose to be in the Rose Bowl in that situation? Are they going to take Oregon, who just lost to USC? A third in loss. The and has already lost at home to Washington this uh, year? Okay. Or are they going to take a 10-2 and Washington team who didn't make the Pac-12 title game? Right. I don't think there's any question. I think in that scenario... The Rose Bowl is going to choose Washington to play like the Ohio State-Michigan loser right. or Penn State or somebody like that. Interesting. So I, so I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a better chance that Washington's going to play in the Rose Bowl <laughs> than I do that Washington's going to play in the Pac-12 title game. Right, because so much has to happen for the Pac-12 title game. And really, what oh, the only thing that has to happen to get in the Rose Bowl, well, a few things. They have to beat Washington State. Yep. USC has to stay winning. They got to beat Notre Dame. USC, the Trojans have to beat Notre Dame. Yep. And then they've got to beat Oregon, which they'll be favored to do in the Pac-12 title game. Mm -hmm. And then the Rose Bowl would select Washington. And so you would be in the Rose Bowl without playing in the Pac-12 title. I can't believe that's not a rule that they don't just take the loser of the Pac-12 title. I thought for sure they would do that. No, I don't think so. That's crazy. I don't think so. But yeah, Oregon would have three losses. The Huskies would have two. 
And they beat Oregon in Oregon. Correct. They're in. That's a pretty good case right there. We're going to the Rose Bowl. Let's go buy your It's the granddaddy of them all. Live show. There you go. And so that's not Mr. Pac-12 tight. That's just the way it works. Huh. I like it. I'm wondering if whether most Washington fans already knew what I just said, but probably did. So for those that did, sorry to rehash it. I thought, yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know. After losing to Arizona State and UCLA in back-to-back weeks, if they go to the Rose Bowl after all of this, it'd be pretty amazing. Well, it's a good season, 10-2. and two. Sure, yeah, If they is. beat Washington State, it's a good season, it's whether they lost right to Arizona there. State or not. I'm just saying right after those two losses, I thought, okay, maybe they are frauds. Maybe they're what are you talking really about? Before good. those two losses, we thought they were going to the college football playoff. <laughs> That's true. That's what I'm saying. A big disappointment. But going to the Rose Bowl, what a season if they managed to do that. But I'm, I'm nervous about the game in Pullman. I don't think you it's – You should be. Yeah, it's not going to be, be easy. And to graduate from – Washington to the idle Seattle Seahawks this past weekend, mm-hmm. who now prepare for the the red hot Raiders who come in after beating the Denver Broncos. <laughs> yeah. And maybe before the game starts this Sunday at Lumen Field, maybe the Seahawks can secretly give the Raiders a little handshake for dropping a loss on the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. Yeah. Here's the Seahawks team, six and four with seven games to go. They got five of them at home. Five of the seven games are at home. I like it. They got the Raiders this week at home. They got the Panthers they'll be favored over at home. They've got the Rams at home they'll be favored over. They've got the Jets at home probably will be favored over. The Niners game at home on Thursday, December the 15th, maybe about pick them, maybe yeah. a slight underdog. And then they've got two road games. They'll be big underdogs against the Chiefs on Christmas Eve. And they might be favored at Los Angeles with the way the Rams are going down the toilet yeah. right now. Look awful. They might be. So we're talking about seven games being favored in – Five, maybe six of them. Four, four, five, or six of them. If they win four. That's 10, they're in. They're in. Lock. Unreal. I'm telling you right now, lock at 10. And four out of seven doesn't seem unfathomable at all since you're telling me they're well, favored in five yeah, or six of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, you're only asking them to pretty much do what they're expected to do. Actually, less than what they're yeah, expected less. to do. Yeah, right. If they're favored in five out of the seven and you're asking for four wins. That's less than five. You're yes. at, yeah, mm-hmm. you're asking them you to, to do so- something less. <laughs> I'm following you. I'm with you. What an, another incredible year if they somehow make the playoffs. Unreal. They're going to make the playoffs. And all these Pete Carroll they and are John going to make the playoffs. haters. Wow. The question is, can they get hot enough and can they get back to the defensive play that they had before the Tampa Bay game? and get hot enough to win the division. Yeah. That's going to be an uphill battle because I don't think, and I went through this on a Mr. Playoffs with with, uh, Slickhawk, I don't think even by beating the Niners in in the return game on December the 15th, I feel like having looked through the numbers that Seattle would not win a tiebreaker against the 49ers. Hmm. So they got to not only beat them. Yeah. They got to finish, I think, with a game ahead of them. They got to finish a game ahead of them in the standings. And don't forget that the 49ers have already played the Chiefs and the Seahawks still have to play. I think it's going to be an uphill battle to win the division. I think it's possible. But I'll be stunned at this point as Mr. Playoffs if they don't make the play. They would have to really step all over themselves not to make the playoffs. And I think they're really... We're down to eight. I think we're down to well, maybe the Falcons. I was going to say we're down to eight teams for seven spots. You've got the teams that we know about, and then the Commanders now all of a sudden, six and five, the Washington Commanders, yeah. and you've got a Falcons team that beat the Seahawks, and they're, I believe, five and six. So you got a six and five. Outside of those two teams, 
Really, it's come down to the Seahawks, the Seahawks, the Commanders, and the Falcons for the final spot, or the Niners if the Seahawks are able to get hot and or stay hot and win the win the division. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, have and you, then, yeah. I'm sorry, have you been to a game yet this year? I've not. I haven't either. I'm just kind of, maybe some listeners could tell. What's the atmosphere like now? Is it, because I, I think the first couple of games I heard, it really wasn't that loud and there was a lot of empty seats, but are people starting to come back a little bit? Are they believing in Gino? I'm, I'm kind of wondering what I the think atmosphere it's slow. is like. Uh, from what I gather, it's slow. I think it's on the way. And okay. I feel like if they do their business and they're in the midst of the, of the divisional top spot on December the 15th, mm-hmm. I think that Thursday night game with the 49ers here will be like the old days. Okay. Not going to take much to get the fans to come back. I mean, we're not that far removed from some incredible seasons. Well, I think they're going to come back. The question is, are they going to behave the way we, the boisterous way (laughs) that that gives the Seahawks the best chance to win? I think you'll see the place crazy on that Thursday night if they go into that game December the 15th with a legitimate shot to win the the NFC West. I mean, if they go into that game and they're two games behind the Niners at that point, maybe not, but that could be like the old days that Thursday Hmm. night game. So get your tickets now. Lots of guys acting like the one in Philadelphia at the at the urinal, swaying back and forth. Lots of those fans will be at the Seahawks Stadium. That's and for sure. And they, oh, they're not even in the continental <laughs> United States. I love that. All right, three interviews. We'll start the other stuff segment with what the Mariners did this past week. Yeah. And we'll get to a bunch of stories, but I think you're going to love the New Heisel segment, in particular his story about Apple Cup Week, hmm. Lake Washington, and Barbara Hedges. I'm on it. Hey, look who I found. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning for Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Katie, how's everyone doing over there at at Evergreen? We're doing very well, Mitch. How are you? Uh, Very well. I'll have you know, everyone knows by now, Mitch went three for three last time. I'm expecting that the streak is going to continue. Do we have a theme today? Yes. So theme today, we're doing an economic update. So I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, the Evergreen Exchange. It's a biweekly podcast that we put out. It discusses investing, the economy, and other financial planning topics. So for those who are interested in learning more, you can find the Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is also produced by our producer, Steve. So I'm ready for question number one, Katie. Go. Okay. So the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates in 2022 to slow down the economy and fight inflation. Has this year had the quickest increase in rates in 40 years? Is that true or false yeah i think it's true i think i read something about 40 years i'll say true katie that's right the fastest tightening cycle this year. The second fastest was in 1995-1996. We find that the Fed really tends to overcorrect when they're during these tightening cycles, and that has pushed us into recessions historically. We're expecting them to increase rates two more times here in 2022, and so that's part of the reason why the markets are down so substantially, with stocks and bonds both down about 20%. And now I'm on a four-question streak. Let's make it five. Question number two, Katie. All right. Since 1950, there's been 14 Fed hiking cycles where they increase interest rates. How many of these 14 cycles have ended in a recession? Is it six, nine, 11, or 14? Would be a total guess. I can't believe it's 14, and I'm sure six is way too low. I'll go 11. I'll go C, Katie. That's right. You got that one right. Yes! 
typically what the Fed is trying to do when they increase interest rates is to have a soft landing to ease the economy, to slow it down, but not slow it down too much. And historically, they have not been very successful in doing so. Oh, my God. I'm five for my last five. Shall we quit now or do we go to a question three, Katie? <laughs> we'll see. This one's a tough one. Okay. Interest rates have increased dramatically this year, which has really shifted the income markets. So in October of 2021, a year ago, a two year Treasury bond was yielding 0.5%. So today, what is that yield? Is it two and a half percent, three and a half percent, four percent, or four and a half percent? Three and a half percent, stab in the dark. So you didn't quite get that one right. It's actually D four and a half percent. I tried to trick you with that one by putting it on the end there. It's been a huge amount of income pickup over the last year from 0.5% to four and a half percent for these bonds. So we're finding a lot more opportunities in the income markets versus what we saw a year ago. So while we think there will be continued volatility in the stock market, we're finding a lot of more opportunities to increase income. For those that are interested in learning more about this, how we're positioning portfolio, Portfolios, I'd recommend listening to our most recent podcast and checking out our website at evergreengk.com. And of course, the Evergreen Exchange every other week from Evergreen Golf Call, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and Everything Wealth. Unfiltered. On episode 215, 215, to visit with our friend Rick Neuheisel, CBS College Football Analyst, presented by Taco Time, Taco Time Northwest, 60 years of service to the Northwest from Taco Time, always looking to expand their team with some people who love to do some work, tacotimenw.com. We go to Rick Neuheisel, and I don't know where to begin. I don't know whether to begin in the Pac-12 or what happened with Tennessee or what didn't happen to TCU and Michigan at the same time on Saturday. The two of them were fighting for their playoff lives. Let's start with, are you following the shenanigans that is or that are the Pac-12 title game situation are you are you following this it's absolutely wonderful to have that kind of theater that uh, exists now in the pac-12 because it's good banter i mean goodness gracious we've got so many teams that still have a chance whether it to be to las vegas or to be in the granddaddy of them all which is the absolute pinnacle of college football as i've tried to profess to people for years and years yeah but it really is fun to go through the machinations the good news for you mitch yes sitting there in the fair city yeah. of seattle yeah is your beloved washington huskies are right in the mix of all of it oh I yeah know. they need a little help but they're in the mix yeah. And who would have thought that given uh, what happened a year ago and Kalen DeBoer's first year? I mean, you always expect some measure of growing pains. And yet here are the dogs on the doorstep of uh, something really special happening in year one. So walk through it with me. 
I think we've gone through this and people have gone through this in Seattle a lot. It's going to be really hard for Washington to get into the Pac-12 title game, but I would contend easier than that will be getting into the Rose Bowl without playing in the Pac-12. Let me let me go through it for our listeners who don't understand. The only way that Washington plays in the Pac-12 title game, and I guess that's in Las Vegas now. That's Las Vegas, and it'll be on a Friday night. Yes. It's USC versus either Oregon or Washington. The only way that Washington gets into that game is if Oregon loses to Oregon State, Washington... Which is absolutely doable. You got a hobbled Bo Nix and Oregon State is having a tremendous year. Jonathan Smith should be commended yep. for the way the Beavers have played this year. And you've got a hobbled Bo Nix. And it's in Corvallis this and year. And it's in Corvallis. So that could happen. Washington would have to take care of business now against Washington State. That's going to be a very difficult game in Pullman. Washington State's ready, always ready for the dogs. They're 7-4. Yep. and four. They've had a good season themselves. But then you would need one of the following two other things to happen. We don't think that Colorado is going to beat anybody, including Utah, this coming week. Unlikely. Okay. Unlikely. Which brings us to the UCLA-Cal game, which for tie-breaking reasons that I won't explain because it'll take me the entire hour <laughs> to do that, UCLA would have to lose to Cal in addition to the Washington win, the Oregon loss for Washington. Did you to play see the, the fourth quarter of the big game? Did you see what Cal did to Stanford? I they scored look. 21 points, Mitch. It's a, it's a veritable explosion. <laughs> Cornucopia of points for the Cal Bears. They had just let go of their offensive coordinator, their offensive line coach. And, you know, you can't be expecting anything in the way of, you know, productivity. And yet there it was 21 points. So that coupled with the fact that DTR got nicked up. He sure did. In that game against the Trojans and sure might did. be nursing a very sore throwing hand may or may not be available. I'm just telling you, do not count out all the probabilities that would have to take place for uh, the dogs to get there. But the more interesting conversation may be, let's just say Washington takes care of Washington State. I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough game this week. Right. Let's say Washington somehow comes back with a victory, but all the other things don't happen. And Oregon and USC end up playing in Vegas for the Pac-12 title. Now, Let's also say that USC wins that game and is plucked from the Pac-12 to the Final Four. Now, the Rose Bowl needs a Pac-12 team, and they have to choose between Oregon that had just lost to USC and had lost to Washington on their home field earlier. Yes, this indeed. Season. Tell them what they won, Johnny. I think That's exactly that, right. The dogs. I the think dogs the dogs will be are going go to the Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl I think they're going to the Rose Bowl in that scenario, right? Yes, and probably, probably playing either the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game if they're not plucked. We're going to go there. Or yeah. Yeah. Penn State. Wouldn't that be something? First a Penn year? State, ten, a 10 and 2 Penn State team would be the next choice if both those teams are in the playoff. That's wild stuff. Kalen DeBoer it, in his first year, Rick Neuheisel. <laughs> Michael Penix, who would have thought a year removed from the fiasco that was Jimmy Lake. Good football man. Didn't work out at Washington. You know, not to sit here and take shots at him. There's no reason to do that. But who would have no thought? Need. Who who would have thought we would be in this situation where Washington is potentially one win away in Pullman, Washington from going to the Rose Bowl in his first year? How about that? We knew the seeds were there. 
We knew the seeds were there with the Penix DeBoer relationship. What we didn't know is they would blossom this quickly. Watching that take place and watching that performance two weeks ago in Eugene, not taking away from what happened this last weekend with Colorado in town, but just watching that was sensational. And I hope for happy endings for both those guys for such a sensational year. We're going towards the final four and we're going towards you and I talking about USC and who controls its own destiny and all that stuff. But I want to stop on the way and try something out with you because I watched simultaneously two games on Saturday at the same time er, in the early wave. I watched the Baylor TCU game almost from beginning to end, and I was flipping back and forth with the Illinois-Michigan game at the same time. Michigan and TCU were in very similar situations, although we might conclude that Michigan could have lost that game, beat Ohio State, win win somehow the Big Ten. Exactly. But we'll get there in a second. I want to go to football 101 with you because since the day football started and long after you and I are both gone and football is flourishing, there will be the debate about how coaches, in particular offensive coaches like yourself, handle late game situations where they have (laughs) the ball and the lead and they've got this, this turmoil of we want to protect the ball, we want to run clock, You're saying you take your foot off the gas. You stop doing what you've done to put yourself in the lead in the sake of bleeding the clock and extinguishing the hope for the opponent. But in fact, you extinguish your own hope. So Baylor had the ball up eight and then they had the ball up two. After they had it up eight, they went three and out, very conservative. TCU came down, scored, missed the two-point conversion, and now Baylor has it up two. So they had it twice, and they were in the spoiler role, and they've got to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to put our – are we going to try to get first downs here, or are we going to run the ball and run clock? Go back to your coaching days. You must have been in that situation I did it. Go back to the time when we lost to Michigan at Michigan. That was the very same sale. They had missed their field goal, and now all we needed to do was run out the clock. And so first down, I ran the ball and tried, got, you know, got rid of their one timeout. And second down, I told Cody Pickett, hey, look, we're going to run a bootleg here. If it's not there, you just run because we want the clock. I don't want an incomplete pass. If the guy's there, hit it, and let's get the first down and get out of here. But if he's not there, take what we can and so forth, which is exactly what was coached to Blake Shapin for Baylor. Clearly, he was told, if the guy's not open, tuck it and run, and we'll hunt the ball and get keep the clock going. The problem was, for Blake Shapin, he was open. His tight end, the over route, which always accompanies a you know fake action one way and then roll the other, which typically is called a naked or a bootleg. Right. He, he came out, that tight end's wide open. And if you don't say anything about tucking the ball, and coach the, you know, the thing to do if it's not the typical deal, he hits it probably nine out of 10. But because he coached into him, hey, if he's not there, all of a sudden that decision went too fast for this youngster. He wasn't ready for that moment. And he'll be sick when he looks at the film because there was an easy throw and catch. One that he would hit 90% of the time. In the Michigan game, that was not the case. They came off the edge. We should have been out of the play. My fault for not getting him and just running another play because you don't run those those kind of 
actions into open side pressure. Let me spin you around, though, a little bit. What you're concentrating on here is the third down play. Right. And guys. Oh, you're talking about well, first and second well, down. Armchair quarterbacks. There's never been a better armchair quarterback than Mitch Levy. I'm the all time greatest armchair <laughs> quarterback. I would ask you the question if it might be easier to pop a first down on either first down, a pass on first down or second down instead of waiting to the third down play where now the defense is thinking they may throw here. They may throw here. It's a good thought, but here's the argument back, back to you, the counter. The counter is if I get a first down on first down, now I'm only getting four plays of time off the clock rather than six plays of time off the clock. I'm trying to get all of it off. I'm trying to get the whole enchilada. So making a first down on first down isn't exactly what you want to do. The inverse can be said, right? I don't want to score too fast when you're going the other way. If you go back to the holiday bowl that I coached against Texas, we had given the lead back. We were up 15 points and they had come storming back and all of a sudden we're down there and I want to score at the end because we couldn't stop Texas. And I handed the ball off to Willie Hurst on second down and two in uh, across the 50. I think we were on the 38, 39 yard line, just trying to get more clock because I did not want to score with anything more than 30 seconds on that clock. And Willie Hurst, you know, confounded the whole problem by running in for a touchdown. That dirty son of a gun. What was he thinking? <laughs> Should have gone to a knee on the right, one. Right. But, but I'm sitting there going, that's just football. Sometimes yeah. it just happens that way. Man, it's an interesting debate, and we see it week after week in both college and pro football. The team that's trying to pull off the upset with the ball late and the lead really trying to figure out what do we do here offensively. It's Those hard. coaches were doing some work, Mitch. <laughs> they were doing some work in their heads. That strange uh, noise was just that machinery going. By the way, did you see what Brett Bielema did as we sit here and kind of yeah. pat the guys on the back who ended up uh, not quite getting over the hump in those upset bids, both Baylor and Illinois not getting it done. So it's fourth and three, and our buddy, my buddy Jimmy Harbaugh, runs a pick play. All right. So he runs a little motion inside the the slot receiver. And then the slot receiver basically blocks the man over the top of him, just blocked him. And then the, the guy who ran the inside motion down turns and runs a quick out. Sure. And he's got the clear Avenue because the defender has been blocked. They throw a quick out first down Wolverines. Bielema was so upset that that was not called offensive pass interference, which clearly it was because the ball was over the line of scrimmage. You can block down the field if it's behind the line of scrimmage, but because they wanted to get the extra yardage, they weren't willing to risk that. So they just did it. But Bielema then put the play out on his Twitter feed for all Illinois fans to follow (laughs) saying, hey, sorry, Illini fans, we will work our tails off to get this play defended by next week. We didn't realize Ah. this was legal. Absolutely out there. See that, that, that there was you're doing some work. You, you blew, you just he blew. was that's who my doing some work is. Bielema was doing some work. Now, I got his whole team's gonna be doing the work. I gotta throw, I know I'm I'm late to the next topic, but I gotta throw one more at you on the TCU game. Fire Sun, drill. The Sun, fire drill. Well, Sonny Dykes, <laughs> I, I've come to understand why he did it. I don't know that I agree, but I've come to understand that they were on the left hash mark. Right. And it was it was so important to him to get his kicker closer to the middle of the field or the right ash mark. He was willing 
to run the ball with no timeouts and get the fire, the fire drill, the fire, fire drill, drill. Yeah. get the kicker running out. Get, to him, we've practiced that a million times, and I have to get the ball in a better position for him to kick it than from the left hash mark. Is he crazy or is he sane? You know what? We always lean on the kicker for what's your preference. And what was interesting to me is the kicker ran out there and the clock's going down. You usually, your your limit is 14 seconds. And when they started running out there, there were 17. So they had a little buffer. Mm-hmm. But when the kicker ran out there, he didn't do the steps that most no. kickers do where no, they walk. He, yeah, he, he just, just went, went right. and planted. Can you believe and I'm that? And I'm saying, okay. Oh, but maybe, maybe in some ways it disarmed all the worry and the concern about the kick. He just, he was, you know, just did it. I saw a great article on the story. He says, it's one thing to have practiced the fire drill and practice the fire drill and practice the fire drill. I don't know that it's necessary to start the house on fire to see <laughs> if it works. <laughs> but lo and behold, the frogs uh, and the frenzy that is the frogs uh, are alive and well. That brings us to where we stand. Tennessee gets blown out from South Carolina. They've been eliminated from the conversation. The quarterback's been eliminated, unfortunately, due to injury. He's done for the Heisman. Let's put Tennessee away. Unfortunately, that's what we have to do. Georgia, we all know, can even lose. I think Georgia can go to the SEC championship and lose and still make it into the Final Four. So they control their own destiny to the Bulldog. We know the Ohio State-Michigan winner on Saturday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, will play in the Big Ten championship game uh, against, I don't know, Iowa, Purdue. I don't know who's going to be the opponent from that other division. Iowa has the best chance. Okay, I don't know that either one of those. Let's say that whoever wins the Ohio State-Michigan game also wins the Big Ten title game. Let's say that. Okay, all right. Now, TCU, we know, controls its own destiny, win the next two, and TCU will be a part of the conversation. All right. Now... Who else controls its own destiny? Does LSU, should LSU win the last couple and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game with two losses? Does LSU get in no matter what happens to anybody else? I say yes. I say the fact that LSU was ranked sixth last week was a indicator to us that they feel if LSU wins out, LSU will be the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff. Which means, Rick Neuheisel, I don't know that you realize you just said what I'm about to say you said, which means if Georgia controls its own destiny and the Ohio State-Michigan winner controls its own destiny and TCU controls its own destiny and LSU controls its own destiny, then USC does Does not not control its own destiny. And this is where I disagree. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I disagree with you on that. (laughs) Because I keep thinking about an LSU win over Georgia and how much Georgia, that win will trump anything that USC can do. Two losses, though, versus a one-loss USC team. Let's let's give some hope, though, to the Trojans that they'll be five and LSU will be six this week by virtue of the fact that LSU only played a UAB. And uh, that was a 48-45 thriller in the Rose Bowl for the Trojans. Plus, I think more important than that, Mitch, they have Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is playing great football. Notre Dame just beat Boston College 44 to nothing. Boston College is coming off a 22-21 victory over North Carolina State. Notre Dame coming to the Coliseum. If this is a sound beating, 
Not a close, a sound beating, a two-touchdown edge by the Trojans, dispatching of Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman. That will put SC ahead of LSU, given heading into conference championship games. And then then you would change your opinion that USC at that point... I would say that USC at that point could get there without worrying about what LSU does. Man, it's tight. Yeah, it's tight. It's tight. It's yeah. very, who's who's the Heisman winner as of the day we record this? Probably C.J. Stroud, although Caleb Williams' performance was off the charts, although I thought Joel Klatt was so emphatic that it should be Caleb Williams. People were probably getting a little bit distraught by it. Uh, hey, easy. Stop telling me who to vote for. But I, I would say Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, and don't count out Max Duggan and or Stetson Bennett. I have to say that in your pick, while we're going to give you credit for a win, you promised that USC and UCLA <laughs> would go over by the end of the third quarter, over 76 and a half, and it took 30 seconds into the fourth quarter. So you were wrong about that portion of I your was pick. just, ab- was your father disappointed? <laughs> hey, we're uh, eight and three. Eight I just want to know, if you're wanting to know who's doing some work, I'm giving you some work. Okay. I'm giving you some good work here. Okay. Before we get to the pick, are you using Brett Biele? Why? We know that Taco Time Northwest loves people and celebrates people who just like to do some work and they're always looking for great new members with great compensation packages and perks at tacotimenw.com. Are you using Brett Bielema because of the way he handled Twitter and social media after getting robbed by by khaki pants? Are you using him as you're doing some work? Because I I haven't gone yet. I have, well, I have one. No, I'm taking the ball and I'm using my guy Bielema. I mean, that's going to social media immediately after and putting the play that was in question. There was a kind of a iffy pass interference call against his defense also, but uh, putting that play up there and, uh, and saying, we will work to get that play fixed this next week is a uh, pure okay. genius way to go. Bielema. Which, nice job doing some taco time work, which means I'm up. All right. So who do you got? Well, I, I came down to two. I, I saw the Lafayette Lehigh kind of brouhaha at the end. <laughs> I wondered if you'd go there. I, I've come down to two, and I have to decide whether I want to be true and blue or I want to be irreverent, my own irreverent self. So I came down to the kicker of TCU. I think it shows some brass balls. I, by the way, the, <laughs> the Michigan kicker, too. The Michigan yeah, kicker, Moody. too. Oh, boy. Moody. Boy. These Jimmy Harbaugh guys. called him a hero. He'll get legendary status now in in, uh, Michigan lore. Sonny Dykes telling his kicker, you know what? I need you to run out onto the field, (laughs) not use your paces, and then keep our national championship hopes alive by kicking the ball through on the road in that situation and him coming through. It's hard to say that anybody did more work than that kicker, but I've got one. Okay. And I think you heard me say on a text what I'm about to say. If Caleb Williams wins the Heisman, Joel Klatt, let me tell you who was doing some work. The USC defense was doing some work. And here's what I mean by that. The best thing that could happen to Caleb Williams was what happened on Saturday night, that every time he took him down and scored, the USC defense not only just allowed points right after, they allowed UCLA to come down and like, Records like sprint down. <laughs> 12 to, seconds. 12, Let's get Caleb the ball back. Get him the ball back. 
if if he wins the Heisman, he owes his terrible defense part <laughs> like the stiff arm part of the Heisman trophy. I say, you know who was doing some work, Taco Time? Send burritos to all of those USC defensive people who are allowing UCLA to score so quickly to get their quarterback back on the field. That's what I'm with you. I'm oh, with you. God. That's somebody some doing some work. Can I just give you a little memory as we head into the Apple Cup week? Yeah. And 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 just maybe a, a follow up to someone who was doing some work. Yeah. As the head coach at, at Washington, there's a lot of hats you wear. It's recruiting. It's uh, obviously calling the game and going out and making sure that the boosters are happy as best you can. And there's all sorts of things that go into it, right? And as that booster relationship grew, I would invite them to my home. And one game after the Apple Cup, I invited a bunch of boosters to my home. And they're all sitting there. And we had this tradition while I was there, Mitch, called the Apple Cup Plunge. Meaning, because I lived on Lake Washington, yeah. we would jump into the water. If you won the game, you would jump into the water. Now, the waters were icy and cold, and it wasn't any fun. Other than when you hopped out, there was a hot tub. And we went and jumped in the hot tub, and we celebrated with you know our favorite beverage and what have you. So now, I'm sitting there with one of the big boosters at Washington, up in my kitchen. I said, it's time for the plunge. He said, I said, you coming? He said, I'm not coming. But he looked at Barbara Hedges, the athletic director at the time, and says, if she'll go, I'll pay $2 million. $2 million for this new, this new campaign for the indoor facility. And if you look at the name on the indoor facility, you can figure out who the booster was. $2 million was offered. And I looked at Barbara. I said, come on, girl, here we go. He goes, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, Barbara, of course you can. No, I can't. I said, Barbara, it's too large. We're doing this. You'll be in and out. You'll be in the hot tub. Don't even have. She goes, my hair. <laughs> my hair. So from now on, when you look at pictures of Barbara Hedges, you're looking at a $2 million hairdo. I'm just telling you, a $2 million hairdo. That she, is a, how do I whoever know? did her hair was doing some work. <laughs> how do I not have ever heard that story? I love that story. That is amazing. Okay, uh, you need to do some more work, Renee, unless you're going to follow Bobby's Bobby's, no, no. Bobby's Bobby, yelling Bobby, from heaven. Bobby is now giving me the green light. He says, you're uh, hotter okay. than Texas okay. chili. You okay. go, kid. You go. Okay, where are we going? You know, the Big Ten has, you know, so many games that they, they pass them back and forth with these, you know, artifacts from historical lore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we saw the Floyd of Rosedale game, which is about a pig, a big bet between governors, between the Iowa and Minnesota governors. This week, we have Paul Bunyan's axe at stake as Minnesota travels to uh, Madison, Wisconsin to take on the Badgers. They're an underdog. I think... Mo Ibrahim, the running back who now has 19 straight 100-yard games. I think Mo Ibrahim and the Minnesota Golden Gophers go on the road and beat Wisconsin in Wisconsin. They're a three-point dog. I'll take the three, but I'm going to take the Golden Gophers. P.J. Fleck, you row the boat, son. Row the boat. In an effort to go to nine and three, and even my math, nine out of 12, that's 75% against the number. 75, it's unheard of. 
75. 75. If you hit this one, you are 75% this year against the number. How about that? Ladies and gentlemen, he's Rick Neuheisel. We love him. He'll be back with us. He's going to do a lot of traveling. We're not going to get into that, but God knows where he's going to be between now and the next time we're together. Uh, together again, we'll know who's in the Pac-12 title game and all the good stuff with Rick Neuheisel, who joins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, thanks to Taco Time. Northwest. Thank you, Rick. Speaking of good stuff, everybody have all kinds of good stuff with your Thanksgivings. Uh, all the best to everybody. Safe and happy holiday. You know, there's nothing quite like the holiday season at Daniel's Broiler. And here's my friend, CEO Lindsey Schwartz. And if you can take your mind off of USC football for just a half second, can you tell us how everything's going? You bet, Mitch. I'll take my mind off it for a couple of minutes for you. <laughs> we love the holidays. You know we love the holidays. I, it feels like Daniels was just built for the holidays. I know you've celebrated Thanksgiving yep. at Daniels with the family. It just kind of kicks off on Thanksgiving and rolls all the way through to New Year's Eve. All four restaurants are going to be really busy. We already are pretty well booked up. You know, it's fun in the bars. It's fun in the dining rooms. It's fun in the private dining rooms. It's, uh, it's going to be a great month at all four restaurants. The Huskies are good. The Seahawks are good. Football is good. And the best bus boy at the Bellevue location, Max Levy, came home the other night and said, you're not going to believe this. They finally put TVs at Daniel's Bellevue. Now, how is it possible for 35 years, I haven't been able to watch a football game in the bar area at Daniel's Bellevue. Is that possible? Is that true? I mean, as ridiculous as it, <laughs> as it sounds to hear you say it, it's partially true. You've been able to watch in Prime 21, which is kind of the back bar there. It's always had a couple of TVs. There have not been TVs in the main bar <laughs> until we just completed this remodel <laughs> and put them in. And, and, and I know that sounds bizarre, but the reason is, as you know, we've got the piano there. We've got the great piano bar. We've got Jim Wash who's been with us over 30 years. He's the star of the show, and he's the reason people come to the bar. So we didn't want to have anything competing. Hold on a second. What nights does Jim Washburn sing and play at Daniel's Bellevue? So he used to, he actually, back in the day, he used to be there five nights a week, three or four nights a week now. But yeah, back in the day, he, he was, he was almost always there, but I know what you're going to say. Do he you never not, played on Monday. Okay. Do you and, not, do you not know that there actually is football on Mondays? You know what, Mitch, better late than never is what I like to say. So uh, you got now for the rest of your life, you can watch Monday night football at Daniels Bellevue. I, I want to know what the boss is ordering and what the boss's family is. In fact, I want to know how often you have dinner at one of the four lovely locations of Daniel's Broiler and what you're ordering these days. Well, I'm probably there once a week, not always for dinner, maybe yeah. sometimes for appetizer and a, yeah. and a drink, you know, but I'm an eight ounce filet mignon guy. I have been for a long time. Piedmontese is, is one of the varieties that we do, and I like that one a lot. My wife loves the fresh salmon. My kids, who are teenagers now, still eat like they did when they were when they were little kids. They still get the uh, they love the popcorn shrimp. Oh, they love the steak strips. They'll get that for their entree. Why not the big boy for you? Why only eight ounces? 
Well, Mitch, I've been meaning to talk to you. You know, when guys get to be our age, may want to slow it down a little bit. But uh, but for the young people out there, yeah, I, I, I would go with the big boy. Ladies and gentlemen, Lindsey Schwartz, Daniels Broiler, four tremendous locations, have been a supporter of mine for years and years, going back on the radio and now at the podcast. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Jerry DePoto has struck, maybe not the $200 million shortstop many of us are hoping for here in Seattle, but a heavy-hitting corner outfielder, Teo Hernandez from the Blue Jays, brings his power numbers to Seattle for at least one season. Scott Mitchell, Blue Jays insider for TSN. Scotty, how are you? How's it going? Going pretty well. Last game Hernandez played, everyone remembers two homers in that wild playoff game against the M's. Put into words what you think Seattle is getting in Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone up here remembers that for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm sure I'm sure the the party was on in Seattle after that one, yeah. uh, long awaited. Look, I mean Teo did his part in that game, couple home runs, and you, you said it. I mean pop and power is, is this guy's calling card, and over the last kind of three seasons, um, you know he's been one of the most productive outfielders in baseball. So. I think a lot of Blue Jays fans were, were kind of confused about this deal, but uh, you know, there's a kind of a lot of layers to it. I, obviously, it starts with the fact uh, one year control. Uh, you look at the Blue Jays lineup, and there's a lot of similar hitters to, to Hernandez, and a lot of guys with a little bit of swing and miss, a little bit of chase, uh, all hit from the right side. And really, the goal for the Blue Jays is they wanted to diversify their lineup, and Seattle's getting a, a hell of a hitter. And when you look at the numbers over the past three seasons, he, he's kind of really come into his own. He's only 30 years old, you know, in 2023, and you know he's a, he's a guy that can you know really kind of be a staple in, in the middle of the order, and he, he's really found his groove the last couple of years. He's started to hit the ball in the air more. Obviously, that's allowed his uh, you know exit velocities to play and. You know, I don't, I don't expect that to change. And if you're wondering why the Blue Jays traded him, they talked to him about a, a contract extension last winter and didn't go very far. I think when you look at how the Blue Jays front office kind of evaluated him moving forward, knowing they have to sign Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, guys like that, Teo kind of valued himself uh, a little bit higher. And, you know, it's hard to disagree with that with the numbers he's put up. So this is a guy that's going to go into a contract year and we all know what can happen for, for players in contract years. I mean, he could put up a monster season in that lineup. It's all that talent around him. So, uh, you know, defensively as well, he's really improved. He was a little bit of a whipping boy, 2018, 2019, there were some mental lapses and, you will see those from time to time, but you know this is a guy that has all the athletic ability in the world. He can steal bases, he can move in the outfield. He's got a real good arm. Kind of a complete package. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of numbers he can put up there. Either corner or just right field, and where does he look best in the lineup? Do you think he he hit fifth for the Blue Jays for the most part? He was their cleanup hitter a lot too last year, and it's interesting. Um, you know, I've talked to him obviously a whole whole bunch and way more comfortable in right field, looks more comfortable in right field, has played left, but he'll even kind of admit or has admitted in the past, didn't play there a lot coming up, uh, coming up through the Houston Astros system, center field, right field were kind of his spots. 
looked a little bit out of place in left field and they kind of kept him in right just because he was more comfortable there. So I'm assuming that's what the Mariners are going to do, but can play left field. But I, I think, you know, his skill set with his arm does fit well in right field. And not, he's not a great defensive outfielder, but he's not going to kill you. But you, you will notice a few mental lapses here and there. Uh, over the course of 162 games. And, you know, that's just kind of what you get with, with Hernandez. Obviously, uh, you pay for the stick and, and you hope he hits, uh, you know, like a middle of the order guy. And when you yeah. look at the WRC plus, this guy is, uh, you know, well above average. And there's no, uh, there's no worrying about the, the offensive impact when he's healthy and going right. In the last couple of years, he's kind of cut the strikeout rate. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, if you're the Blue Jays. And, you, you know, you kind of talk extension with him last winter. They they shelved that, uh, you know, heading into the season and, and didn't revisit it. So, you know, it was pretty clear to me that he he was probably going to be on the move. And not because the Blue Jays wanted him out. It's because he's a pretty good trade ship and they needed to improve in yeah. other areas. So, you know, when you look at the strikeout weight, you look at the low walk totals. I think that's where you, you kind of question maybe the sustainability. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he can keep that strikeout rate, you know, under 30% guy's going to hit a whole lot of home runs he'll be a 31 year old free agent scotty after this next season he's a good year away from being what wanting what give me your best guess as to what kind of a contract he'll want in a year from now i think when you look at uh what he's gonna want uh 20 million a year maybe 480 five five 100 if you know things go well I, i think that's kind of the market that he's gonna envision himself in when you look at you know, the top outfielders in the, on the market every year. I mean, like George Springer got 650, um, you know, 25 mil a year. When you look at Brandon Nimmo this year, 5'125", we'll see where he lands. Hernandez's camp is, is going to think he's in that, that range. And, you know, it's all going to be about the numbers because he doesn't bring a lot of defensive value. Again, he won't kill you out there, but it's all about the bat with him. So yeah. I think 480, if he continues to put up the numbers that he's put up the last couple seasons would be uh, you know a fairly fair price range on both sides in my opinion. Scotty last question he was all world in 2021 296 32 home runs 116 RBIs 2022 kind of settled down to the to the mean at 267 25 and 77 is there a drop-off there is there a reason for a drop-off or did he just have have just one of those unbelievable seasons and he's more like the player and the hitter that he was in 22. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think he had an oblique injury early last year in April that really set him back. It took him some time to get going. Uh, the second half of the season, he looked like that impact hitter from uh, 2021. So I'm not going to put a ceiling on him. I think that that 2021 season is well within reach. I think the number you look at in that year is the strikeout rate. I believe it was under 25%. I don't know if that's sustainable when you look at, you know, the career arc and you look at the rest of the numbers. So that may have been kind of the outlier there, but Teoscar has uh, shown an ability to make adjustments. He knows himself. He knows his swing. He's kind of figured out over the last couple of years, what he's good at. And that's, you know, obviously driving the ball, pulling the ball. You'll, you'll notice him as well. He can go to the opposite field when he's going well, he'll hit some moonshots to, to right center field. And 
that's when you know he's kind of really locked in and seeing the ball well. So I think 2021 is well within range. He just needs to, you know, keep the swing and miss to a minimum and, you know, not chase. And you'll notice when he is going poorly, like most hitters in baseball, he's chasing sliders out of the zone and, and things like that. Like I said, it's going to be interesting. He hit 296 that year. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, a guy that's going to, uh, you know, scrape 300. I think he's more in that 260, 270 range that you saw last year. So, yeah, I think you can kind of maybe split the difference a little bit and, you know, look for a, a three to four war season with, yeah. with 30 home runs. And hopefully you'll hit about 500 against the Houston Astros. Scott Mitchell, not the former left-handed quarterback, but the uh, the <laughs> the Blue Jays reporter for TSN. Scott, great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you for your time. Hey, anytime, man. And I, I get that Scott Mitchell uh, thing <laughs> all the time on Twitter. So this is this is nothing new to me. So let's bring our friend Jason Churchill into the conversation, prospect insider, host of the podcast Baseball Things Church. Begin with Teo Hernandez. Like it, love it. Where are you on the scale? One to ten. I think I'm I think I'm I'm high. Eight, nine, ten. I, I think I love it. And and I think the biggest reason is I think Seattle has identified the need for multiple hitters to add to this lineup, multiple outfielders even specifically. They know they have an issue at second base, but they needed to go out and get outfielders. And once they kind of made the decision that Mitch Hanniger probably wasn't worth the qualifying offer, they knew they needed to go out and get that extra hitter to add to this lineup. Because with Mitch Hanniger, it's two. Without Mitch Hanniger, it's three. Now they're back down to two adding Hernandez and to be honest with you they didn't give up a whole lot to get him when when it, you know we like Eric Swanson yeah I, I like the prospect Adam Macko down in the minors or talking about a guy who's three plus years away who's had injury issues who's probably just a reliever anyway probably doesn't throw enough strikes so it's really just about Eric Swanson here you can find relievers and if there's one thing that Jerry DePoto and his group have always done really well it's find relievers and figure out the bullpen. So if you're giving up three years of Eric Swanson for a full season of uh, Teoscar Hernandez to add to your lineup so you can let Mitch Hanniger walk and go get players that are available to you instead of guys you hope are going to be available to you, I mean, this is a home run. Is it a one-and-done on Hernandez, or will they sign him long-term? The guy you know, the it, guy in Toronto just before you said he's going to ask for five years, $100 million at the end of this season. Yeah, and he probably should. Uh, at first, I thought to myself, yeah, I don't really see why, like like personally, like if I'm Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander with the Mariners, why I would go out and extend Hernandez. But then I kind of rethought about it because because my, my first thought was he's 30 years old. The defense is declining. It's like, okay, that's that's true. That's real. I don't know that I'd go five years, but... I was willing to go five years and $120 million on Brandon Nimmo, who's 29 years old. So why wouldn't I go at least four years on Teoscar Hernandez? So he's probably going to ask for five years. I'd give him five years right now. I don't know that I'd give him five years at the end of the season. We'll see how this plays out. But the Mariners made the deal for one year of Hernandez. That's the price they paid. So anything they get after that mm -hmm. is gravy. Um I really think this just buys the Mariners time. I, I think they're going to do that at a couple of spots this year because they know uh, they're not going to be able to go out and get three, four or five year solutions, maybe even including that second base spot. So you go out and just feel, hey, let's buy some time. Let's put us in a position to really compete, close the gap between ourselves and teams like the Astros and Hernandez was move number one. I still feel like the Swanson use or lack thereof in the playoffs is a mystery. 
Has anybody mm-hmm. ever gotten to the bottom of what happened and why they lost faith? What, why service <laughs> in, lost faith in? in I don't Fox? know what happened there either, Mitch. I, I really don't. It, it's strange. The, the best thing I could come up with is so it, Swanson's on the roster. They don't use him against Toronto. Maybe there was something at the end of the season where Swanson couldn't get loose or like the arm wasn't feeling great or something along those lines. So they just, they just were like, we're only going to use them against Toronto if we have to. And then they get into that game one against Houston and it's still the kind of the same situation. That's the best explanation I come up with. And it's not a very good one. So I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, they, everybody that I asked is injury, like actual injury wasn't part of it. So that's what I, the best I come up with is like, maybe there was just something wrong with like him getting loose. He didn't feel right. Yeah. Or like completely lost the feel for a splitter or something along those lines. Because yeah, we're always going to go back to that game one and say, if they use Eric Swanson, against Jordan Alvarez. Like, what's the worst case scenario there? Does he also hit the home run off of Maybe. Swanson? Probably yeah. probably not, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's easy for us to say, you know, yeah. 2020 hindsight, but yeah. Swanson's been awfully good at, A, keeping the ball in the ballpark, B, throwing strikes and staying out of the middle of the plate and using a splitter to combat left-handed power. So, yeah, we're always going to second-guess that yeah. one, I think. Yeah. Without knowing what they're still yet to do offensively, is Hernandez as we speak today? If we went to the gate today, would he be the cleanup hitter, the opening day cleanup hitter for the Mariners? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, if you're putting together, I mean, we have to assume that that Jesse Winker's on the club because that's you know how we sit here today. Jesse Winker's you know still on the club. Yeah, or the three hole hitter. I don't know who the 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 leadoff hitter is. If we assume it's Julio, then I guess Ty France is hitting second again. And so, who's the three hole hitter? It's yeah. I, I guess yeah. the three hole hitter is probably Hernandez, and then maybe Eugenio Suarez is four, or maybe go Cal Raleigh four and Suarez five. All right, tell our listeners, our audience about Cooper Hummel, Kyle Lewis. I think that's a sad day for all of us Mariners fans. Great guy. Good young player, devastated by injury, wasn't going to work out long term here. They acquire a guy, you don't hear this very often, catcher slash outfielder. When you see (laughs) catcher slash outfielder, some of us have a hard time getting fired up for a guy like that. Yeah, and Arizona seems to have the market cornered on guys like that. Dalton Varsho has actually made a really good career. He's going to make a lot of money being a legitimate catcher, but also a guy who can play center field for you. I mean, it's crazy. Cooper Hummel, uh, what's he, 27, 28 years old uh, until 2022, is a career minor leaguer. He's an interesting athlete. I- I'd say he's probably a fringe average to average runner, but he's actually a pretty decent outfielder. I think the, the big question here is how much he can catch. And, and Jerry DePoto was asked on Friday, you know, what about Cooper Hummel's defense as a catcher? And there are some defensive metrics that the club likes. Uh, I'm not buying it, to be honest with you. I'm not buying Cooper Hummel as a good enough defensive catcher to be the number two catcher even on a big league club. But if he's depth for you and he can hit a little bit and he might be able to hit a little bit, there's a triple A track record there, uh, you know, hitting 260, 280, making a lot of contact, hitting line drives from both sides of the plate. So it's a really interesting guy. I think it's more of a bench guy or an okay. up and down guy that comes up during the season to fill in for injury. All right, middle infield, which is everybody's uh, question. DePoto is not backing down from JP at shortstop. Now either we buy that, that that's exactly what he wants, or it's ownership telling him, 
no, we're not spending $200 million on one of these five shortstops, so figure out something to say to the media to get them off of our back. And what he's figured out is that JP, he wants a shortstop. So are we to write off the idea of the Big 5A? And in the last three to five days, we've heard names like Colton Wong. We've heard Gleyber Torres. We've heard maybe some others speak to those two issues and if any of these guys excite you yeah i think you're i think you're right i, I think seattle once that as they're kind of starting to learn what the market's probably going to be for those shortstops i don't think they're out on those shortstops at, at this point i think they're probably out on the idea of dansby swanson at more than 150 million i think they're probably out on the idea of xander bogarts as a shortstop for 200 million dollars now if he wants to agree to play second base you know, that's a different story. You might be able to get him for $200 million or less because he's a little bit of an older player, and he's the worst defensive player of the group. Carlos Correa and Trey Turner, I think, have priced themselves out of Seattle. And I don't know that it's priced themselves out because John Stan doesn't want to pay it. I think it's Jerry DePoto priced out. I think Jerry and Justin may have kind of looked at, like, initial conversations, and they understand where that market's heading. And if you're telling me that they can get Carlos Correa or Trey Turner for eight years and $210 million. I think Jerry DePoto pulls the trigger on that, but it looks like it might go 240, 250, 260, maybe even beyond for Carlos Correa because he's a little younger. And I think Jerry DePoto looks at that and goes, this doesn't match what I'm trying to do here. It's not about will Stanton pay it or can we can we manage it, you know, with the payroll this year. It's we're trying to build a sustainable winner. And I think that's where the disconnect is going to come from with yeah. these short stuffs. I think the market is going to end up for those top two anyway, is going to go beyond what Seattle wants to do. So that's why we're hearing Torres. That's why we're hearing Cole Long. Although even if they were, they thought they were going to get one of those shortstops, you still make those calls because until you get him, you have to have backup plans and backup plans. So. Um, I look at Colton Wong as, as a pretty good uh, addition to the club. I would look at uh, Glaber Torres as a pretty good addition to the club. I think it puts a lot of pressure, though, Mitch, on that second outfielder. And they probably need a third outfielder in that situation. If you grab Colton Wong or Torres, it's a it's an upgrade. But it puts a little more pressure on those other bats that you want to go get and how deep the lineup is when you put it together versus lefties and righties on a daily basis. How about Flex and how about Marco? Do you expect both one of those guys to move? And where are we on the fifth starter heading into 2023 for the Mariners. Yeah, I, I actually expect Flexen to be moved. Uh, there's been enough, you know, discussion going around. I talked to, to a guy with the Rockies the other day that said when when they spoke about Flexen, they were like the seventh team in line, you know? So it's not like teams are banging down the door to get a number five starter for $8 million. But I do think there, there's going to be enough movement there. And I think Chris Flexen ends up going. And I think Seattle wants to move one of those guys because I think they want to get, I mean, they're in on Kudai Senga, the, the Japanese right-hander who's far better than a number five star can you imagine seattle goes out and pays the freight for senga who might cost 80 to 100 million dollars but we're talking about another guy who belongs in the like the robbie ray you know the real robbie ray luis castillo george kirby logan i mean I, I don't know who would be the number five starter uh because he would certainly be better than that they're in on that. That's a real, that's real interest there. So it's really, really interesting. So if they're able to go get a guy like that, or they think they're going to be able to go get a guy like that, I think not only is Flexen moved, but I think ultimately Marco has moved as well. He's just a little tougher to trade. He's due $18.5 million over the next two years. And he's gone in reverse. You know, he had a great 2019, 2020. 
His first couple of years with Seattle were very good. Looked like a mid-rotation guy, like a volume innings eater guy that was going to put up better than league average numbers, and he's gone backwards. So that's going to be a tougher sell. But if you're Seattle and you're looking to spend money over the next couple of years, and you owe Marco Gonzalez $18.5 million, even if you have to split the cost with another team, you're saving $9 plus million. So you probably do that even if the return on the trade isn't very good. So I expect at least one of those guys to go. Maybe two. And but it really does sound like, Mitch, that Seattle does not really prefer to start 2023 with either of those two guys as a number five starter. I think they see opportunity there to get significantly better and they're gonna do it if they can. All right, let's finish with some fun. The name Shohei Otani. It looks like he's gonna remain at least for the final year in Anaheim with the Angels. I don't know, maybe you disagree with that. You think that they'll pull the trigger, and they'll move him somewhere this offseason. How interested do you think ultimately the Mariners will be in signing him to a mega, mega, mega contract here in Seattle? Yeah, your timing is great on this. I just talked about this uh, on baseball things a little bit. It is a really interesting situation because Otani, I don't know if he's going to get moved or not. And I I think that's really key for Seattle because if Otani gets traded to, say, the Dodgers – or the Mets, they're going to have a, a pretty good inside track on, of course, of course. hey, we're just going to pour out free agent. We're just going to offer him whatever he thinks he can get, 500 mil, whatever it is. Um, so that's really difficult. But if he does get to free, because he's not getting traded to Seattle, I think we just, just rule out. If you're out there thinking, oh, Seattle should trade, that's not happening. The Angels are not giving Otani to a division. It's just never, ever, ever. That's a real thing. So you think about free agency and you can't rule it out. If you're Seattle, if you're John Stan and Chris Larson, that ownership over there, obviously the personnel people are going to be interested. But if you're the ownership and you're thinking, all right, what's this going to cost us? And what does this, what does this do to our projected payrolls? And what we're trying to do otherwise, this kind of goes back to the shortstop conversation too. like the player personnel. People are going to want the player, but does he fit? Does, does that number fit? So you gotta, you gotta kind of come up with what is the number? What what are we talking about? He's 20, it's going to be 29 years old. Uh, He's going to make $30 million in his final season with the angels. I think that's a $150-200 million hitter. I think it's a $150-200 million pitcher. And there's a lot of value, Mitch, in having that player take up just one roster spot. I think the the conversation starts at $400 million. And while it's really, really hard to say no to a player like that, it's also really, really hard to stomach a contract like that in a market like Seattle. We all wish our owners in, in baseball – in every market, really, would spend $300 million a year on payroll. It's just not realistic. And at the end of the day, it's really difficult to see Seattle forking over that kind of a deal, to even to get a player like that. Now, there are always exceptions, and I will not close the door because Otani is obviously special. And this organization, with John Stan and Chris Larson involved to some level, have made exceptions to payroll on a much, much smaller levels. For players like Ichiro, when they were pulling a really tight payroll back in 2000, 2001, and they went out and spending and we heard about the Ichiro ledger, you know, this is a whole other ball of wax, but it's really difficult to sit here and go, yeah, we don't want Shohei Otani. No, no, no. You want Shohei Otani. It's how do you make it work? Can you make it work? And does he still have interest? Because I think some of those uh, reservations he had about the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Cubs and uh, places like that are probably gone. Like he's, 
You know, he's used to Major League Baseball and what fans and media markets bring to the table. I think the Cubs and the Padres are going to be huge. Everybody keeps talking about Mets and Dodgers. I think the Cubs and Padres are going to be huge. Not sure the Mariners get involved here or not. Follow him on Twitter, Prospect Insider. Listen to his podcast. He's the host of Baseball Things. And he's, uh, from time to time, a great contributor to Mitch Unfiltered. We'll, uh, We'll check back in the next time something happens with the Mariners. Thank you, Jason. Hey, sounds good, Mitch. Thanks. Well, I'll be damned. Look, look who it. All right. That was corny. That was corny. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. What's the latest over there, Dan? How's Zeke's doing? Oh, very corny. That's even cornier <laughs> than the nicknames. It's funny, though. Uh, uh, what's new over here? You know, it's it's fall time and lots of football, uh, lots of pizza, lots of beer. We're transitioning here to a new beer lineup. Fall has its own rhythms. Uh, moves a little bit more towards delivery and takeout and away from dine-in a little bit. But people are coming in to watch football in our bars and stuff. And so we're like probably most of the listeners here is we're, yeah. we're rooting, for, rooting for the Hawks and enjoying that. I'll tell you what, anybody who's listened to Unfiltered knows that you guys are growing like a weed. Spokane is humming along. A visit or two from a certain Gonzaga basketball coach. Boise, Idaho is on the way. That'll represent the first restaurant outside of the Washington State. And I was wondering, going back to the beginning... Was that always the idea, the wide, wide footprint going outside of the state of Washington, Dan? Yeah, Mark Few asked for you while he was over there. I told him you'd be right over. I did. It wasn't necessarily when it started. Uh, Doug and Tom, our founders, it was more basic than that. They really wanted to kind of live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. And to them, that meant powder skiing and windsurfing. And (laughs) they had lame jobs in Anderson Consulting that really didn't allow them to do a lot of that. So they... You know, they founded Zeke's to have kind of the independence and be able to build the life they want. And, you know, we continue to do that through our franchising. That's a cool thread from our origin. But pretty soon after we started, it became clear that we are definitely the pizza place that had kind of Northwest values at its roots. And it became clear that we could become the Northwest pizza place. And, you know, one foot in front of the other all these years, we're on the verge of actually doing that. You mentioned that we're uh, getting ready to open Boise. That's on track for February. And, you know, we're working on Portland and it looks like that has a good chance of happening. And so between those two things, we actually will be the real Northwest pizza place. It'll be great. Incredible. Feels like winners really snuck up on us. Zeke's has always had the best local beer selection. We've talked about that. And you've always said that there are certain brews that go well with this time of year. What are those? Yeah. You know, winter beers, they Heavy is the wrong term, but they're a little bit more high octane and drink one or two or so. We just got a new batch of Zeke and Destroy that hit uh, restaurants a couple of days ago. And, and Zeke and Destroy is one of our flagships. It's one of the ones that you can only get at Zeke's. We talk about all the beers that you can only get at Zeke's. And that's one of the most popular ones for sure. So we just got a new batch of kegs in for that. It's in most of the restaurants. And like I say, it's high octane. It's a double IPA. It's almost 9%. So proceed with caution, but they're really tasty and they they go really well in winter. So oh, Zeke's Pizza, download the app. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. It's time for a visit with a man who is to thank for all of our fun contests on Mitch Unfiltered, like Beat the Boys this NFL season, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. He's my guy, John Waterstrat. He's still my guy, even though he kicked my ass on the golf course the other day. How are you, John? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mitch. Good to have you back. Tell us what's new. What's new at Fireside? Uh, just the same things. Inventory seems to be getting better. Uh, lead times are going down, and we're really excited. When we hear football, we hear fall and that cold, 
crisp weather and we'll get you warm and cozy this fall. Well, if we need a new fireplace or we want to change ours out, I understand that you have a, a neat special that's going on at Fireside Home Solutions. Yep, yep. I know it's been tough out there and prices have gone up. So we're giving up to $300 off of a gas insert so we can help out people and get you warm and cozy this fall. Wow. So up to $300 off of a gas insert just by coming into the store. Yeah, Heat and Glow's offering up to $300. You can just go on there. We'll help you get the coupon. It'll be really easy. We'll take it right off the bill, and then uh, we'll get that thing installed quickly. And where are we in terms of wait times these days, John, at Fireside? Great question, and I know we always get those questions, and we've been bringing things in stock. We've gotten really good at that. So for stock items, we're out about two weeks, and for non-stock, up to about four weeks, but uh, way better than we were a few years ago. So Fireside and FiresideHomeSolutions.com up to $300 off a brand new insert this fall and Fireside, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Start your search with Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Go into this by fairly healthy, and so that means we can come out of it even better. And so that's that's a big, uh, it could be a big boost to us as we we as other teams continue to struggle to you know to stay healthy and all that. So hopefully we can make that come to life, and it just helps it, it helps us in all ways. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna get clearer, and, and we'll come back fresh and ready to go. Off week for the Hawks, but not us. Seahawks no table time presented by Taco Time Northwest celebrating 60 years of incredible service to the Northwest and always looking to add to the team, the Taco Time Northwest team, tacotimenw.com. The Seahawks are sitting very comfortably, boys. Joe Fan, Brady Anderson, I would say at 6-4 and four, despite the loss to the Buccaneers. Joe Fan, we'll start with you going way back before the season started. Vegas didn't even have them winning six games, so... To think that they would be six and four at the bye week, anybody, any Seahawks fan would have signed up for that. You know, what's interesting is that the Seahawks win total was set at five and a half, but more so than really any other team, whether it's over or under any team, the Seahawks were juiced to the over. And by juiced to the over, I mean, you had to pay, I think it was minus 160 or minus 170, which is mean, which means you bet $170 to win $100 on the Seahawks over five and a half. So the, What's interesting is the betting community and maybe it's just sharp money or whatever was bullish on this team getting to six wins. Now I can't imagine many people took that bet and said by their bye week in week 11, they'd already come home and that bet would be cashed. But it is interesting that, that, you know, I think there were some people out there, maybe it's not the talking heads uh, that you see on TV every day, but there were some people who were bullish on this team being maybe more competitive uh, opposed to being in the cellar. So yeah, the fact they are at six wins or, or for the season would get to six isn't a surprise. Certainly where they are now is is a surprise to everybody in first place in the NFC West. And it does seem like it's going to be a, a two-team race down the stretch between Seattle and San Francisco. Week 15, the rematch at Lumen Field between those two teams could be the deciding factor in the division. They should be a playoff team. You look at where the, the NFC is, I think there's really eight teams vying for the playoff spots. I feel good about the Giants and the Cowboys. Uh, I think the NFC East is going to get three teams. And so it comes down to that seven seed. Uh, one of Seattle or San Francisco will make it, potentially both. Then it's Washington, who's who at the time of this recording is in the eight spot. Beyond that, it's Atlanta, Arizona, Green Bay, Detroit, the Rams, Carolina, New Orleans, Chicago. I think all of those teams are cooked unless someone gets 
outrageously hot and there's no sign that that's going to happen with any of those teams. So you've got eight teams vying for seven spots. In my opinion, Seattle should be one of those teams that, that claims a playoff spot. Brady, seven games to go and the schedule sets up really nicely. Five of the seven are going to be at home. They're going to be a favorite to beat the Raiders this week. They're going to be favored probably to beat the Rams and the Panthers and maybe even the Jets, maybe not the Niners. And then they go to play the Rams in Los Angeles one more time. I know that Chiefs game on the road in Kansas City will be difficult. But in terms of how the schedule sets up for them, then combine that with the injury situation, it feels like, to me, they're pretty healthy as a squad can ask for 10 games into the season. They, they would have to step all over themselves and struggle to not make the playoffs, I think, in the NFC. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and maybe not necessarily winning the division because I think they're completely neck and neck uh, with the 49ers in terms of how well positioned they are to do that. I realize that they've got uh, one more win than San Francisco does and they have the same amount of losses. So they're effectively only a half game ahead of them. But as you've mentioned, uh, the 49ers already have their toughest game on their schedule out of the way because they have already played uh, the Chiefs and lost to the Chiefs. The Seahawks still have to go to Kansas City and play at Arrowhead Stadium on Christmas Eve. Uh, so that that game still looms large for them. Now, fortunately for them, that's obviously an AFC game, so it doesn't count doubly in the standings. But five of seven at home, they've got they just had their bye week and they are in pretty good shape health wise. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they are favored in that game uh, on Thursday night in week 15, just because, you know, that's a, a combination of being at home on a Thursday night. I know that San Francisco, that's not a huge trip, but being at home on a Thursday night is usually a pretty good combination. So I, I hate to go back to, you know, the whole notion of, you know, would you have taken six and four after 10 games? Uh, because clearly they were or they are better than everybody thought they were. So I don't think that your preseason expectations should necessarily, you know, be the barometer from here on out. But that said, you would have taken six and four and being relatively healthy uh, at this point of the season. Relatively healthy or really healthy? I mean, they're, yeah, they're in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, you got two pretty big time players on IR and Rashad Penny and uh, and Jamal Adams who aren't coming back this season. So you have lost two starters and they're not coming back. But, you know, every team probably has one or two of those guys that they've lost. And so. Uh, you're getting good play from the replacements too, both Ryan Neal uh, at strong safety and obviously Ken Walker, the third at running back. So yeah, all in all, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. Joe, my friend, Hugh Millen used to always tell me on KJR, Mitchie, there are five equal parts of a football team. The pass game, the run game, the pass defense, the run defense, and special teams. Five equal parts of an NFL team. And clearly, there's one major concern amongst all for the Seahawks moving forward, and that is, can they stop the run? The answer was no against the worst running team in the NFL, in the Tampa Bay Bucks in Germany. We can throw that out the window because of the playing conditions, the field conditions. They're turning around. They're going to face Jacobs this week. Not great running teams on their schedule the rest of the way. Some good running teams can the Seahawks stop the run. Yeah, then they and they did for a month. Um, and even if you look at that Bucks game, it, the efficiency numbers aren't as egregious as it, it felt. I think the issue is it, it wasn't necessarily the big runs that, that took place. It was just a consistent four. It felt like every time there was no, there was nothing negative. They lost at the point of attack, seemingly in every play. But fundamentally. 
this, the, the defense seemed pretty sound. So again, I don't know if I look at that and think that's alarming. So I guess my answer would be yes. And I'd follow up with that and say, we talk about how healthy they are. And I think going into the season, you look at depth in different spots and you don't really think twice about a couple of things because they're going to be a bad team and they're not going to make the playoffs. And it's a lost year and a rebuilding year. So you don't think about when Nick Ballore is the two deep at both linebacker spots behind Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks. And I'm still sort of perplexed that they went through the trade deadline and it's, it's now out of the bye week and, you know, Jordan Brooks, they gave him a scare or he gave him a scare in Germany when he went down real quick. And you thought, Whoa, because they can't afford to lose him. And maybe they just, maybe they're bullish on Nick Ballore as being a, a replacement level linebacker that can play. Okay. But it does sort of feel like there's a bit of a house of cards element to the defense. When you think about the depth at linebacker and also at the pass rush spots, I mean, Daryl Taylor and Boye Mafe, at least as pure pass rushers have not given you a ton. If Uchenna Nwosu goes down, they're in a world of hurt. Bruce Irvin's playing 47 snaps a game right now, which he just came off the streets. I do think they're in a good spot and I have faith in them being probably good, not great, kind of in the middle of the pack, depending on the week. They'll have games where they play better, games where they play worse, but nothing to where they were as bad as they were the first five games of the week. Brady, you've been waving your hand in the background. I want to I wanna also ask you, to try to assess for us when they get whipped against the run. Is it because of the front four? Is it because of the interior of the defensive line? Is it because of the linebackers? Is it because of the safeties? Can you help us understand what the weakness of the Seahawks defense is specifically as we talk about the ground, the ground game? Yeah, I think, and I'm going to throw this uh, Tampa Bay game out of this equation. Okay. I'll tell you why after right. this. But early in the season, when they were really struggling to stop the run, I think it was a combination of, I think it was primarily the second level. Uh, linebackers were not doing enough and working in concert with the guys up front. And, and a big reason why you've seen their run defense turn or their entire defense turn, really, that Tampa Bay game notwithstanding was because of, I think, the changes that they made uh, up front. It, it freed up their up, up front guys to make more of those plays in the backfield that their linebackers weren't making. And so there's a cohesiveness that just wasn't really there uh, for those first few games. Remember, you know, they also missed tackles at every level. I mean, remember Quandre Diggs uh, whiffing on a few, including one on Taysom Hill on that long run. So that's not to single out the linebackers. Everybody played a role in that. I think in this game against Tampa Bay, the issue was that they underestimated Tampa Bay's running game, but that seemed like the case uh, when you saw them deactivate Brian Monet, who was, you know, maybe their second best run stuffer they're you know, one of their biggest defensive tackles. Uh, and they deactivated him in favor of miles Adams, who is a smaller, quicker guy, uh, more of a pass rusher, because as Pete Carroll later confirmed, you know, they were a lot more worried about Tom Brady, uh, than they were their running than Tampa Bay's running game, which you can understand Tom Brady's best quarterback of all time and Tampa Bay's running game had not been doing anything so that they felt like they could stop the bucks on the ground with some lighter personnel and without really building their defensive game plan around that. Obviously that did not work for them. And so I think that bucks game was kind of a, a special case, but it was a little concerning just because you saw some, you know, familiar issues, you know, that were kind of bit them early in the season as well. Well, I can give you guys, if you're interested in terms of average yards per carry, the remaining opponents for the Seahawks, they have seven remaining opponents, one of which they're going to play twice. So the Raiders are eighth in the league in average yards per carry behind Jacobs. 
and that's their next opponent. Not necessarily in this order. They play the Rams twice. The Rams are 31st in the league in yards for only the Bucks. The Rams are the second worst team average yards per carry, and they're going to play them twice in the last seven games. Panthers are 14th, but they don't have McCaffrey anymore. So I don't know what they've been since they traded McCaffrey away. The Jets are 15th, but a lot of that was was Hall before he got hurt. So I don't know what the Jets are since Hall's injury. The Niners are 19th, but now McCaffrey joins them, and the Chiefs are 16th. So they really don't play in terms of average yards per carry. The Seahawks are not going to play a top seven running team the remainder of the year. And as I said before, five of these seven games are at home. So put those two together, and I'll go back to kind of what Joe said, what I said. I, I think it'd be kind of a collapse if they don't at least make a wild card spot in the NFC. Trey Brown. Joe, what would you like to see? I heard that Trey Brown is now officially back and he'll be available for them against the Raiders. I thought Kobe Bryant struggled in Munich in that game against the Buccaneers. How would you like to see them use Trey Brown, Joe? My guess with Trey Brown is they give him a chance to compete against Mike Jackson uh, on the outside, and they leave Kobe Bryant as the nickel. Uh, I would defer to Brady, though. I I don't think Mike Jackson has been good enough to where um, the job is his uh, securely. Uh, I think Trey Brown, given what we saw you know, he was fast and physical and really showed a lot of promise before getting hurt as a rookie. And I think, you know, you give him, maybe it's not week one, maybe you give him a series or two, but maybe by the second week of practice, you know, he is the guy to start opposite Tariq Woolen. I, I think Mike Jackson has played pretty well. Now you're not seeing the splash plays that you're getting at a Tariq Woolen. He doesn't have an interception yet, but I think you're getting sort of that mistake-free play from him where he's not flashy, but he's also not getting beat. I, I just, I'm not seeing him have these lapses in coverage. He's not, he's sort of put the penalty problem that he had earlier in the season aside. So I don't think that he's playing, you know, so lights out that you're going to forget about having anybody compete with him there. I I do think that you're going to see them kind of work Trey Brown in there periodically the same way that they did, you know, Sidney Jones before they cut him. Uh, You maybe give him a series or two and, and, you know, let him get his feet wet. Remember he's not only coming off of a long absence, you know, from the injury, he's also, you know, still has to get his feet wet in a new defense as well. And so um, I don't think he's in any danger of taking over that starting job right away, both because I think he's got a ways to go before he gets comfortable. And also Mike Jackson is is playing pretty well. Now I want to quickly go back to a point Mitch made uh, the last one about the other teams running the ball. There's not a whole lot of great running teams there. There's also a lot, you know, not a whole lot of quarterbacks that you would really fear outside of Patrick Mahomes in week 16. Derek Carr is, is kind of struggling right now. After that, it's uh, you've got the first of two games against Matt Stafford, who obviously is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but he's not having a good season. Panthers have who knows who playing quarterback. And then, you know, Jimmy G is in week 15. And then you've got Zach Wilson and then uh, another one against Stafford. And so they will be able to get back to what they normally do, which is going to game plans, uh, you know, building game plans around stopping the run and then going from there. And one last point about the Bucks game. I know the averages weren't all that impressive from the Bucks. Remember, there was six kneel downs from Tom Brady in that. So when you take those out of the equation, uh, they were well over four yards per carry. So it was, I think it was the numbers do show that it was as bad as it looked watching it live, but I don't think that's going to be an issue for them going forward. Brady, give me a quick answer on this. Gabe Jackson and Phil Haynes have been sharing time at that, at that guard position. 
Is there a consensus as to which of the two is playing better? And when push comes to shove and they're in a big series, maybe in the playoffs, which guy they prefer to have out there? Well, the numbers, at least the past uh, block win rate numbers show that Phil Haynes has been better and he's, he's actually been very good. Uh, I don't know the exact ranking, but he's been pretty good. And the, I think the eye test uh, backs it up as well. I don't think Gabe Jackson has played poorly, but I just think Phil Haynes has been better. That's a good question. If it comes in into a key spot, what are they going to do? They're still starting Gabe Jackson but it's sort of become almost a 50-50 split playing time-wise. So I think if Phil Haynes keeps this up, then you've got to seriously consider making him the primary guy. Any more conversation, any more thoughts from you gentlemen on what we're doing with Gino? We're one game closer after the Bucks game to the end of a contract, the end of a season. It doesn't seem like Gino is slowing down. It seems like he's just having a really, really good year. And he's going to be on some people's shopping lists come the offseason. You floated on local radio the number 33 million, Brady. You want to tell everybody in our audience why you came up with that, how you came up with that number? Yeah, sure. As I told Mike Salk on Seattle Sports, I, I didn't completely pull it out of thin air. There was a little bit of some method to it, and that's all based off of the franchise tag. And we've had this conversation before where, you know, when you're playing at a certain level and you're you're in position for a contract at a certain number, like I think Geno Smith is, where the franchise tag would potentially come into play, you know, the way that players and their agents look at that, they say, okay, well, we can use the franchise tag as sort of a counter to any any offer that the team makes. If we don't like that, we can say, look, I'm not going to take that deal, and instead I'm going to go year to year on the franchise tag route. The math here is that overthecap.com uh, projects the franchise tag next year to be at $31.5 million. Now, when you play on a second consecutive franchise tag, it's 120% of the first one. So he'd be making, if, if it's 31 and a half million in 2023, a second franchise tag would cost 1.2 times that when you average those two out comes out to about, I think 34 and a half million dollars. So if Geno Smith and their agent don't like the contracts uh, that the Seahawks offer them, they can say, look, I can go make an average of $34.5 million per year over the next two years on the franchise tag. So any deal that you give me, that has to be the starting point in terms of a, of a two-year average. I think that, you know, there, there's some school of thought that, you know, maybe Gino will give the Seahawks some sort of a, a home team discount because the fit is so good, uh, because they gave him the opportunity, yada, yada, yada. And maybe, look, I, I don't pretend to know exactly where Geno Smith's head is at. I do know that I've heard him talk a whole lot about how he is. There's a very clear uh, unwavering self-belief in him. And I really get the sense that he feels like he was, he's been a starting quarterback this whole time. This is not a flash in the pan. And I do wonder a guy who's only made, I put only in air quotes, you know, only made what less than $15 million over 10 seasons playing on a lot of minimum salary deals as a backup. I do wonder if he's going to try to, you know, make up for lost time, so to speak, uh, and really try to max it out. I don't know if the Seahawks would give him that type of deal, but I do think that that's it. that would be sort of the starting point of what he would be looking Three for. Three years, hundred million. Yeah, Joe, would you offer it if you're the Seahawks? Has he done enough to give him three years, hundred million? It's a lot. I don't know if he's done enough yet. It depends how it's structured, and if you have sort of an out after two years and, and limited the, the dead cap space. What he, how he is playing right now is unequivocally worth that money. It just depends if you're the Seahawks, if you feel like it's sustainable and, you know, maybe you let him prove that down the stretch. But again, when you look at the mediocrity of the quarterback position around the league and look at 
how Gino is playing and the guys he is playing better than and the money those guys are making, it makes it a pretty, it makes it pretty simple math. So yeah, I, I would, I would lean on the side of yes, absolutely. On three years, a hundred million. If there's a potential out after two years. And we're having this conversation right now. I don't think the Seahawks are uh, having this conversation with Gino right now. I, I don't know that for a fact, but they, that's not a team that does, you know, big contracts like this or really any contracts like this in season. We're speaking in hypotheticals about, okay, assuming that Gino keeps this up, they're going to use all the time that they have and, and they're going to see how he plays over the final seven games. They're going to get more information on, you know, how he plays situationally, how he plays in the playoffs. So they're going to use all this information and they're going to have a, a, a little bit better of a picture. It's still only going to be one season, but I think that they are going to use all the information they have here. And there's and by also the way, a chance they've just decided that they're going to use the franchise tag next year. Isn't that also possible that they just have already sort of come to that conclusion in their heads that this is what it's going to cost. And that's what we'll pay for one year. Absolutely. I, I think that they would try to get a deal done with him first, knowing that if you, if you have a guy playing on a tag, it really screws your cap up because you can't spread it out, obviously like you would a long-term deal. Yeah. So I think they would prefer to do that. The last point I was going to make is $33 million. And again, I just sort of throwing that out there. You know, that seems like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, especially compared to what he's making. Guess where that would put him in terms of per year average among quarterbacks. Tell us. I think it's like 13th right now. So that's maybe the point is it's maybe not as much money, relatively speaking, as it sounds at first. Let's end with this. Joe Fan is in Vegas. Win bet in Vegas. Always has betting advice, gambling advice for all of us on Twitter. So the win bet guy, the win bet guy, the head honcho, whoever that is, comes to you and says, help me out, Joe. I want to do brand new totals. I want to offer brand new totals for every team in the NFL with seven games to go. And I need you to help me out on what I should post as the new updated total is at minus 110, minus 110 for the Seahawks. They've got, as I said, not necessarily in order, five games at home, Raiders, Rams, Panthers, Jets, and Niners all at home. They've got Rams and Chiefs on the road. They've already won six games out of 10. Help me out, Joe. What are we posting as the total win total for the Seahawks? I'd put it at 10 uh, under and over both at, at minus 110. I think they're going to be favored in four games, at least one against the Rams, Raiders at home, Jets at home, Panthers at home. You win all four, you get to 10. I think a book's comfortable with a push at that point. And then it did happen. You know, it all comes down to what happens those other three games. I think putting it on the nose at 10 is, is a fair line. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the uh, Seahawks note table presented by Taco Time Northwest. Don't forget, Taco Time Northwest presents all of our football programming on Mitch Unfiltered. Always looking for new members of the team to do some work at TacoTimeNW.com, celebrating 60 years of terrific service to the Northwest. He is Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Thank you, Joey. Thanks, guys. And Brady Henderson, still in the boat, still on timeout. But he's going to come out for the Raiders game <laughs> this coming Sunday as the Seahawks get past the bye week. Thank you, Brady. I'll have my ankle monitor on in the press box. <laughs> hey, look who's back. Look who's back. Jordan Flowers, cross-country mortgage. You hear what I did there? Cross-country mortgage in Kirkland, weathering the interest rate storm to continually provide his clients cost-cutting opportunities 
How are you, Jay Flo? Doing great. We're back in the swing of things with school starting, kids' activities. It's a fun time. What's new over there? What are you working on these days? You know, we are staying incredibly busy really right now. It's just educational information for agents and buyers. We're helping agents with their listings, trying to help them see win-win scenarios for their sellers and buyers, trying to keep sales prices up for those sellers to get all the equity they can in the home, but also help buyers see the monthly payment that they kind of had slated in their head. So putting together different payment options and programs for them there. And then holding a lot of home buyer seminars, home buyer classes. So if anybody listening is interested in just coming to a informational home buying seminar and what's available to you and what to be looking for when buying a home, then email me and we'll get you on the next slated home buying class. Okay. I'll ask you for your email at the end because borrowing money has become hopefully temporarily expensive. We've seen a little slowdown in home values, but not as much as you would think. Why do you think that is, Jordan? Yeah, we've not seen much of a dip here. And you might read in the newspapers that a huge crash is coming. We don't really see that happening and playing out in this market. I think we have a very strong economy in general in this Seattle market. We've always been protected, even in the worst times. The last time we went through this in 08, 09, but really prices have leveled out. We're not depreciating. We're just not appreciating as quickly. So I would say still, it's a great time to list. You might not be getting a million dollars over lists like we were at the beginning of the year, but we're still gaining value. And overall in King County, it's maybe two, 3% right now, but pure Snohomish, we're still looking great. You and your team, of course, kind of famously made the career shift from the former company, let's call it, to cross country. What does that change mean to your clients, Jordan? Yeah, the the switch was really an opportunity for us to have more programs and products available to a larger audience base that we work with, self-employed borrowers, unique income scenario borrowers, investment property buyers, and just a more direct line to underwriting for us to make more make sense decisions on the clients that we have, as well as a much larger product offering for jumbo buyers. So opened up the product mix for us. If you want to take a class or you want to learn a little bit more about home buying, what's the, uh, you always give us your phone number. What's the email for Jordan Flowers? Yeah. My email is Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N period flowers, F-L-O-W-E-R-S at myccmortgage.com. Jordan.flowers at myccmortgage.com. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 215, Hot Shots got other stuff saying. Weren't we going to discuss the new Mariner we a can. little bit? Tell me we're, about this fella. too. Well, yeah, but I mean, like the, out, the big outfielder they got, Teo, what's his name? Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully by the time we release this show, there won't be three or four new members of the Mariners. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't like it when they do things after we record record the show. Tejo Hernandez. Yeah. In his last game as a Blue Jay. Okay. You, of course, remember his last game as a Blue Jay. I remember the game, yeah. He had two home runs. Oh, he did? Okay. And that 10-9 or 11-10 crazy right, yeah, game yeah. two between the Blue Jays and the Mariners. He had two home runs against the Mariners. That was the last game that he would ever play for the Blue Jays, and then he would be traded to those very same Seattle Mariners. Mariners said, oh, to him, we'll take him. Let's go. 
if he can just return to his 2021 season for the Mariners. Now, a couple things you need to know about Teo Hernandez. First of all, 30 years old. He'll be a free agent after this next year. So he's only got one year in Seattle unless they extend him. Okay. He becomes a free agent. So you really only got one year of him unless you get some sort of a deal done. 2021 hotshot? Ask me. me. Ask me what he did in 2021. What kind of a season was that in 21? Would you take 296, 32 home runs, 116 oh. RBIs? Does anyone hit 296 in this cockamamie league anymore? Well, they did two years ago. It was him. <laughs> 296. Third, how many home runs? 30? 32, oh, 116. Gorgeous. What would you give for that oh. year in 2023 for the Mariners? Forget it. And how much money would he make? On the open market, right? If he's coming off of a season like that, now this past year wasn't as good. But would you take two sixty-seven, twenty-five home runs, seventy-seven, well, seventy-seven RBIs, two sixty-seven, twenty-five bombs? That's what he did in twenty twenty-two. I take that. Sure, still better than probably what they've got. Wherever whoever's going to play that position, he's right. going to play right field. He can play left field, but I believe he'll play right field. Probably signals the end of the Mitch Haniger era in Seattle. Okay. Might hit fourth or fifth, depending upon what else they do in the lineup. But Teo Hernandez, Teoscar Welcome. Hernandez. Welcome. Now, what, what does this mean for Kelnick, or is it too early to... Well, Kelnick would play left field. This guy's going to play right field. But would Kelnick, is he the third outfielder, or is there going to be a battle? It just or? depends on what they do between... I, That's I don't, true. They I think they're gonna, pieces, yes, they're yeah. going to add more outfielders, I believe. Unreal. Give you some uh, additional tidbits on this guy. Sure. Better hitter outside of Toronto than he was in Toronto if you combine the last three years of his Blue Jays career. He was actually slightly better away, huh. which doesn't happen very often yeah. for Blue Jays hitters. Normally, that's a very friendly. And he's good. he was good in Toronto, but he was even better aggregate away over the last three years. You ask, how did he do it? T-Mobile Park? I'm sure some maniac out there put the stats together. 11 of 27 in his last two years. <laughs> of course. Do the math on that. 11, that's, 20, four, yeah. that's 400. All right. He's 11 to 27 in his last two seasons here at wow. T-Mobile Park. They also traded Kyle Lewis for a backup catcher and outfielder, which is <sighs> kind of sad to Kind of sad that that era is over. People are like, his knees are bone on bone. And I don't know. The whole thing is sad. American League, we finally get like a rookie of the year. Like we did. A, well, now you have another one. You do, but would, it, how, would you take two? I mean, come yeah, on. We finally get one. And then it's like we get nothing out of him but that one year. It's really sad. I'm like, I usually, when players get traded, I like root for them not to do, I'm rooting for Kyle, for him to have like a, a breakout year. I don't know. I'm rooting for him. I'm sad. It really is. He had so much promise, so oh. much potential, had a catastrophic knee injury yeah. in Everett, I think sliding into home, but he, he came all the way back, had some other along the way, but got all the way back and won the rookie of the year after all of that. Yeah. After all it's of amazing. that. Clearly, he can do it in the bigs. That's what you you know you want to know. He's rookie of the year, and then just couldn't get anything out. He of He just was not going to be a part of their future, and no. it's just sad to not only see him go, but to think, oh my God, a guy who was once the top prospect in your organization, right. and you had you had visions of All Star games and yeah. MVP voting, and what, that you would get a backup catcher slash outfielder for him, right? In a kind of a very minor deal that probably in most cities didn't even hit the headlines, right? All right, other stuff segment. Don't be bummed out. It's Thanksgiving Day week. You go next. Your buddy Donald Trump back on Twitter, all thanks to Elon Musk. Really? Made, he made the decision to bring him back in after doing a poll. 
Now, the results were pretty close, but ended up being in favor of letting Trump back on Twitter with 51.8% more and 15 million people voted saying yes. So Donald Trump back on Twitter. No, no, no. I saw that. I saw that poll, Uh but I've not seen where they've actually reinstated him. Do you know for sure they've reinstated him? I've not seen that. The announcement was made Saturday by Elon Musk himself, who wrote, the people have spoken. Trump will be reinstated. Got it. Does that sound good enough for you? That's it. (laughs) <laughs> is he, do you think he's back on yet or no you better watch out i'll have a <laughs> i'll have somebody come on board and take you away before we can all get up from our speaking seats. of twitter real quick cbs has started what could be a devastating ripple effect on twitter hitting the pause button indefinitely on posting new tweets Uh-oh. amid uncertainty under elon musk's stewardship you know how every company and every news department just uses twitter we have a breaking story we'll go tweet well cbs is going to stand down for now just to see how things are going. I thought that Twitter was supposed to explode a couple of days well, ago. Yeah, that's I was why on, CBS is pausing. They didn't know what was going to happen. I was on a plane being told, oh, by the time you get yeah. off the plane, there'll be no such thing as Twitter yeah. anymore. We had a listener reach out and say, are you guys on Instagram? Because Twitter might go away. No. We got, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, all because he said to... He said to his employees that anybody who stays is going to have to work extra hours. And no, oh, yeah, I mean he's shit canning everyone. And then they and all yeah, left. Yeah, you have an ultimatum. If you stay, you work overtime, yep. and you yeah fired, and you get, and and you get nothing for it. <laughs> right, <laughs> from from the world's richest man. <laughs> well, I've got a wealthy guy who's a nicer guy than Elon Musk. Okay, do you know the name J.J. Watt, the football player? Yeah, he's okay. now on the Cardinals. Yes, the Cardinals were playing the Rams last week. Okay. In an NFL game, when the Rams quarterback, the backup quarterback for the Rams, was sacked by the Cardinals, there was a clear fumble that bounced right into J.J. Watt's hands, and he was taking it in for a a touchdown off of a fumble recovery. When the officials made a mistake and ruled it an incomplete pass. They blew the play dead Uh so that when they went back and they looked at the replay and saw that it was really a fumble and not an incomplete pass... They couldn't award the Cardinals the touchdown because right. they had blown the, the play dead. How would they do that? Upon that occurrence, some NFL better out there tweeted that I just got robbed of $1,000 because <laughs> he tweeted that he had a three-leg parlay. The other two legs had already hit, and the third leg was that the Cardinals would score a defensive touchdown. Oh, no. First of all, oh my gosh. I think that guy's got a problem. First you're of all, right if you're well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> that's a whole different episode. That's yes. a whole different kettle yeah, of fish. Yeah, 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 And he shows a screenshot of his three-leg parlay. Oh. That includes the Cardinals scoring a defensive touchdown. And he's like and he and he yells out to JJ Watt. He's like, "They screwed you and they screwed me." <laughs> and JJ Watt sent him $1,000. Really? He wrote, I got oh. you. I got your brother. DM me your address. They screwed you. They screwed me. But at least one of us should prosper. And he sent him the thousand dollars. And there's even a better end of the story. Okay. The guy, upon receiving the thousand dollars from JJ Watt, yeah. took a thousand of his own money, made it two thousand, and gave it right back to the JJ Watt Foundation. Oh my gosh. Can't you? People are great. This, this world what a of co- ours. What a country. Oh, yes. What Yaco a country. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving week and you get that. How about another wealthy guy? You, yeah. John Tyson. Now, you wouldn't know his name. But yes, yes, yes. Tyson Foods. He's he got the in CFO trouble. for Tyson Foods. He's in trouble. What he did got, he do? He got so shit-faced, he entered yeah. a house, yes. not his own, meandered to the bedroom, got undressed, got in bed, and passed out. Now, I'm just thinking, what else would you expect from a 32-year-old heir to a fortune, right? I mean, how else are you supposed to act? 
I'd be pissed if he didn't act that way. So he's a Harvard and Stanford grad. But oh, boy. Yeah, ended up in the bed of a female college student oh, who wasn't there, luckily, and began to have himself a little snooze. And the footage, you can see, finally sits Jesus, up but decides God. it's way too much of an effort, lays back down. The cops come. They yank him out of bed and him almost exposing his nugget pouch in his boxers. He sits apologized for the incident, and you'll be happy to know that Tyson Foods is valued at $23.56 billion, so I think he'll land on his feet. Congratulations are in order, hot shot, to Mike Hopkins in the University of Washington Hoops program. Oh, oh they had a pretty bad loss, they right? Got, they got a commitment from oh. four-star Texas shooting guard Wesley Yates III signed his national letter of intent and delivered it to the Huskies and coach Mike Hopkins. He is the 37th overall ranked player in the nation, a 6'4 offensive superstar that's coming to the University of Washington. He chose UW over Gonzaga. He chose UW over Auburn. He chose UW over Baylor. He chose UW over Memphis, amongst others. How in the world was Mike Hopkins able to get him? Ask me. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. How would Mike Hopkins get that guy? He's the cousin of Huskies assistant coach and former <laughs> Montlake standout Quincy Bontex. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. The question is, will, Hop- will he be the coach when this kid finally comes? That's the question. Just as long as if he's not... His cousin, Quincy Pondexter, <laughs> yeah. is. Still, yes, uh, yes. I thought you were going to be a smartass. Uh, who, who do they lose? They lost a bad loss, didn't they? Someone? 73-64 to 64 to California Baptist. Yeah, that would be the California one Baptist just came right in here. Nobody oh. comes into Montlake yeah. and pushes the UW around. And Wesley Yates is still coming. Oh. The third, because his cousin's on. Can the, he play in so. January? No. Okay. Do you remember the Oregon wide receiver who appeared to fake an injury to stop the clock oh. against the University of Washington? Do I remember? I tweeted about it. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. He has spoken. He did a uh, an interview. <laughs> oh, he did. Okay. Something tells me that the sports information department and the coaching staff didn't <laughs> get a hold of this guy oh, before no. he did the interview <laughs> when he was quoted in the interview this week as saying, yeah. the injury was all part of our game plan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> On the chalkboard. Okay, at the 59-minute mark, you shall get injured. That is a direct quote. Well, it was all part of our game plan. The SID holding his chest as he reads that. Oh, man. It was so obvious. I mean, Not exactly where we wanted to go on that, sir. Yeah. You know the name Elizabeth Holmes? Do you remember that name at all? She was the founder of the failed blood testing startup Theranos. Okay. She was sentenced to 11 years behind bars in her fraud, fraud. by a judge. Do you remember yeah, that? There was a Netflix uh, documentary, a Netflix series. There was a documentary on her. She was given 11 years behind bars and three years of supervised release to start in April of 2023. Mm. It was a billion-dollar company promised it could perform cheaper and easier blood testing. Later revealed its devices could only successfully complete 12 tests instead of her claim of <laughs> 1,000 different tests. The company oh. shut down three years later. She started it at 19 years old, but the documentary and the series are compelling about her life. But yeah, in 11 years, that's a lot. You wouldn't know the name Corey Humans, but you'll know the story. Oh, I do know the name Corey Humans because I do Got homework on. for the show, yes. Okay, 35-year-old Dallas man who, yep. caught, who caught Aaron Judge home run number 62. He sure did. He has finally broken his silence and made a decision that the ball is going to auction. It is. After turning down, his attorney says, a $3 million offer for the ball. He did. 
Good choice. We don't know until we see how much it goes for auction. And don't forget, he owes the auction house a percentage of whatever it goes to. Has he made a mistake? Is he going to get more net than the $3 million that he was offered by a collector a couple of weeks ago? He is the owner of the 60-second home run ball from yep. Aaron Judge. He's a 35-year-old Dallas man. I guess they did it at the Rangers Stadium. And uh, he is set to go to auction with the ball. What's the highest price baseball ever sold or auctioned off? Probably, I don't know, was it a was it a Mark McGuire ball or a Barry Bonds ball? The or? answer is for three million five thousand yeah. dollars, Mark McGuire's seventieth home run there ball. You go. There you go. Nice works, which he smashed in the nineteen ninety eight season. So good luck. You see you see the hissy fit that your buddy Giannis threw at, at after the game and no. At Wells Greek, Fargo Center on Friday? The Greek freak? Oh, my gosh. It was Against such the a, 76ers? What happened? Such a, a weird scene. So it was after the game, and he's pissed off about how he shot free throws. Apparently, he went 4 for, a, four for 11 that night at the oh, line. Geez. So after returning to the locker room from Friday's game, he came back to practice some free throws. But there were workers in the stadium trying to take the nets, do whatever they do. There was a big ladder up in front of the hoop, and Giannis lost it. Runs over, pushes the ladder, falls really? onto the court. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was such a nice Same guy. Same here, like humble, nice. mild manner. Big old hissy fit. What the hell happened? These guys are trying to do their job. He knocks, he, oh, he no. hits the ladder, it goes sliding across the floor. Well, that's a shame. I know. I didn't like seeing that either. I love you. I mean, everyone can lose it, I guess, but come on, man. Come on, Giannis. You better on Friday, than that. a federal judge in Florida hotshot dismissed Patrick Reed's defamation lawsuit against golf broadcaster Brandel Chambly, the Golf Channel, and several other defendants. He had claimed that they tried to destroy his reputation, create hate, and a hostile work environment for him with the intention <laughs> to discredit his name and accomplishments as a young, elite, world-class golfer and the good and caring person, husband, and father of two children that he is. In fact, he's the only one who believes that about himself. <laughs> and he does a very good job in discrediting his name on his own. Yeah. What do you think will a lawsuit that was that was thrown out? How much was he seeking in damages from Brandel Chambly of the Golf oh. Channel and the Golf? How much do you think he thought his defamation case was worth? Uh, for them getting on and saying some negative things about millions, him. ten million, I don't know. Seven hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> Well worth it. <laughs> Here you go, sir. Here's your check. You are correct. Uh, didn't you say he's difficult and players don't terrible. like playing with him? He's a jerk. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't let his parents come to Augusta. He, oh, he's on that's the outs right. With his but, mother but, and but they father, live close by, right? Right down the corner. <laughs> Couldn't come. Not allowed. He's been accused of cheating in college. He was oh, accused of okay. in a, cheating in a bunker a couple of six months or a year ago. Oh, really? He's in a bunker? Kinda, he's, yeah, he's kind of abrasive and nobody really okay. likes him. All right, Andy Warhol. I'm sure you're a big, big of fan of Andy Warhol. Long yeah. gone, but his artwork lives on. This is so insane, the amount of money. So he created a series of 1963 ink and graphite canvas prints depicting a horrible car accident. Who wants that on their wall? But whatever. Mm -hmm. It just sold for $85 million for a Warhol. What? $85 million? Somebody bought it. Sotheby's in New York put the collage of images dubbed White Disaster, White Car Crash 19 times catchy on the auction block Wednesday night within minutes two buyers were throwing out huge bids 74 million and 85.4 million to strike it depicts what it depicts 19 images of a horrendous car accident it's okay. called white car crash 19 uh, got it. it's Andy Warhol don't ask me what the inspiration I mean somebody bought it for almost 85 or for over 85 million dollars well it's a good segue God. speaking of car accidents 
there was an explosion yeah. in the face involving Jay Leno with one of his collectible cars. Have you oh, seen that? Yeah. That has landed Jay Leno in the hospital. Apparently, he's in good spirits. Yeah. I am assuming he's going to recover, but it was some serious burns involved in the explosion. Yep. And it was with his, I, I'm pretty sure he was working on a, a, a fuel line on a steam car. I didn't know that a, a steam car had a fuel line. I thought it ran on steam, hence steam car, but I'm no mechanic. What do I know? And what do I know? Maybe Jay Leno can get somebody to do that for him. Yeah, that's not does his he have to? He has to. He's, he does loves wrenching. he have wrenching. to work yeah, on the fuel? He does. Fu- he loves it. He loves getting in there and wrenching. Ended, and look where he ended up. Now look where it got him, yeah. Let that be a lesson Hire to somebody. anyone who owns 4,000 cars. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. Stop working on and your And I have cars. a couple of RIPs. Go if ahead. You want them. John Aniston has died at the age of 89. You know the last name, yeah. Jennifer's dad. Who Actor was a star. as well, right? Yeah. Days of Our Lives, yep. The West Wing, and The Journeyman. He was 89 years old. I've got Hogan's Heroes star and Auschwitz uh, survivor, Robert Clary. Did you ever watch Hogan's Heroes? The Wait. repeats of Hogan's Heroes? The little guy, little French guy that ran around causing trouble? Yeah, yeah. LeBeau? He was an Auschwitz, Auschwitz survivor, and he was on Hogan's Heroes. He was on Hogan's That's Heroes. Okay. He didn't come. He, he didn't come out about... His uh, his many months in an Auschwitz concentration camp until many years later. Unreal. He was born Robert Max Weiderman. When he was a teenager, Clary and his family were taken to Auschwitz where his parents were killed in a gas chamber on the first day of their arrival. He was there 31 months in the Nazi concentration Jesus. camp. He survived the ordeal. He waited four decades to speak out publicly about his Holocaust experience. He then starred in Hogan's Heroes and others. He was 96 years old. You said how, how many months? 31 months oh. at Auschwitz. Almost three years. And you lose your parents in the meantime. The first day in a gas chamber. God. Kyrie Irving. And Kanye West. Go visit. Yeah, exactly. I've been there. I've stood right outside those gas showers. I was right next to the ovens where they put bodies into the ovens. I don't think I'll ever visit. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I've been there. You want some jokes? But <laughs> <laughs> didn't you have another yeah, RIP? <clears throat> No, I, I had, you had a couple, maybe. Oh, I did. I said John Aniston, and I said... Uh, oh, yeah, John Aniston. An OnlyFans model hasn't shaved or worn deodorant for two years, she Ooh. says. Or as Levy calls it, every woman I dated at Syracuse. Out of the gate, let's go. <laughs> president Biden turned 80 years old, becoming the first octogenarian president. Family members were a little concerned that the president didn't blow out the candles, but instead tried to sniff them. The Las Vegas Raiders linebacker Blake Martinez retired midseason yep. because he's making enough Pokemon? money selling Pokemon cards. Yeah. Now, little known fact, coincidentally, that's the same reason Jack Tatum and Lyle Alzado retired. I just wish those guys, <laughs> though, I wish those Raiders were around to hear this story. God, the Raiders. What happened to you guys? All right, Vice President Kamala Harris announced a $20 million clean energy funding for Thailand. Some critics are calling the plan for Thailand a little too spicy, right around four stars. And finally, just two days before the World Cup good. opener, that's good. Host nation Qatar banned the sale of beer at the stadiums. Yes, they did. Sadly, and after promising that they wouldn't do that, two days before. Yep. Sadly, the nightmare has just begun. Watching soccer sober. Save your tweets. It's fine. I'll watch. Hey, did that kick off? No pun intended. Did the World Cup start already? I think they play on Monday. I think on the day that this is released. Oh, the, the U.S. plays. Okay. Yeah, Wales. Oh, oh, well. They're going to be chock full of information. (laughs) No kidding. By the way, if that's wrong, it's it's not going to be good. Yeah, no, Uh, it's not. Thanksgiving? Will you be watching, though, any World Cup? Nah, I don't think so. Really? Maybe. 
Like if the U.S. is playing, you won't yeah, keep an I'll, eye yeah. on it a little bit? Yeah, I'll probably watch. No, you won't. Okay. Yes, Th- I will. I Thanksgiving, might. where are you going? I'm, I'm going to be here. You're just here? Yeah. And you guys, How about you? Just the four of you? Yeah. Do you yeah. cook? Do you, yeah. do you yeah, bring we'll food cook. in? No, nah, we'll cook. All right. Exciting. Yeah. How about you? Nah, I don't know what we're doing. Yes, you do. We're, we're going somewhere. I just don't know where. We've been invited. Father-in-law. No, he's in Arizona. He ditches us for Thanksgiving. He oh. comes back for Christmas. Oh. It's just the three of us. And so we'll, I think we've been invited somewhere, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. That's yeah. a stressful thing, being invited somewhere for Thanksgiving. Well, the place I think we're invited, I don't, I don't want to invite myself. I think we've been invited. We've been to multiple times, so they're, they're pretty good friends of ours. So it's not that stressful. If it was someone I'd never met, yeah, that, 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 that would be tough. Not, not as bad for there's you. There's always a chance that there's going to be mushrooms and things when I oh, go. Oh, see, I forgot about that routine. <laughs> That's how you live your life, avoiding mushrooms at people's homes. I just remember being scarred, being at somebody's Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. and looking at stuffing, which is my all-time favorite, and seeing nothing but 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 mushrooms staring at me, yeah. and the host coming up and saying, aren't you going to have a little of my oh, stuffing? the worst. And it was at that very moment at age six... That I decided I'll never go again to anybody's house on Thanksgiving. If, if there was a stuffing with mushrooms and a stuffing with cat turds, oh. it would be a wash, wouldn't it? Wash? <laughs> I would dive into the cat turds. God. Oh, jeez. Oh. All right, well, happy the Thanksgiving, everyone. Way, <laughs> the only way that I'm assured yeah. of not eating anything with mushrooms on Thanksgiving. Right. Right here, the home studios of Mitch Unfiltered. That's right. And you can't, like, pick those out because that, that flavor just sort of gets everywhere, right? It's not something you can pick out. I don't want to even discuss it. Yeah, you can't do that. See, P- Piper's with you on the mushroom. She's, like, the really a non-picky eater. I'm pretty proud of her. She can't do mushrooms. Just can't can't do them. So you need to give her some lessons on how to avoid it and how to how to navigate life without, without mushrooms. You won't like the advice that I give her. <laughs> okay. Her mother would not like the advice that I give her. All right. Bye. From Uncle Mitch, yeah. it will be strictly... <laughs> Never go anywhere, ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> She'll join you under the table. Episode 215. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, in the books.